<laughs> cool. Maybe the wrong you left. We get rid of Mirror Universe Rob. Yeah. <laughs> does Mirror Universe Rob not have a goatee? Or does he have two goatees? Yeah, he's got he's got two goatees, like, stacked one on top of the other. Oh, that's just creepy looking. Does one go, like, over his nose, or does it, like, hang on his I, chin? Now, I imagine that they're, like, that they're spaced. Like, you know how, like, in Hunger Games, they all have the weird facial hairs? So I imagine that's, like, one goatee, and then, like, shaved, and, like, a strip, and then there's, like, a chin strap or something beneath it. <laughs> what if they're side by side? Like, it comes Ooh. down in the middle to a point, and then, like, they, like you get, like, this infinity sign, like, double goatee. That sounds terrifying. We're, think- we're thinking about this. this way too much. Let's <laughs> yeah. move on. I hate this conversation. Welcome to Preferred Enemies, the Warhammer 40k podcast that's going directly to Omnisaya Jail. I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. And Richard. And yes, uh, if if that doesn't give you a hint, today we are talking about the brand new, and when I say brand new, it went up for pre-order yesterday at time of recording, so it should be hitting shelves about the time this episode drops, the new Codex Adeptus Mechanicus. Uh, we are going to see what the uh, Scions of Mars are going to be picking up in this ninth edition update. Uh, but first, as always, news, new releases, and your listener mail. Uh, and... Uh, we had a uh, kind of a slow news period, and then in the last few days, like everything dropped at once, and we're kind of getting back into it, which is good because we wouldn't have had much to discuss, strangely enough. But um, where do we want to start? We want to start pre-orders, animation, or events. Let's talk about the animation stuff. I think that's kind of the the big the big announcement. So. Yeah, that's yeah, they I'm did do most a, excited about. <laughs> yeah, they did do a special like online preview just for the animation, and we've we've been waiting for more hints and information on on when animation was coming and like what titles they were going to have, and so uh, we got a list of let's see one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven different titles that are dropping. Uh, we've got Hammer and Bolter, which is an anthology of stories from like Warhammer and like 40k and Age of Sigmar. Uh, Angels of Death, which we've been seeing trailers and and soundtracks and such from for a while, which is Blood Angels versus Tyranids and Gene Steeler cults. The Exodite, which is, involves a Tau stealth team, and we've seen the trailer for that. Uh, Iron Within, which is uh, Imperial Guard versus Iron Warriors. That one looks like they've shown a little bit of that, and what they've shown looks pretty cool. Um, Alter of the Wrath. Best, best show logo for Iron Within. Uh, yes. Oh, definitely, <laughs> definitely. And then we've got Altar of Wrath, which is going to be Black Templars versus Necrons. Uh, Black Talon, which is a uh, Age of Sigmar animation all about the uh, all about Nave Black Talon, who's a character they introduced back. I want to say in. They introduced a couple of years ago. I don't know yeah. enough about it. <laughs> my, my brain blanks <laughs> out on it on, on Stormcast Eternal History. Interrogator, which is an Inquisition animation, which that'll be cool. 
Broken Lance uh, about Imperial Knights, uh, Pariah Nexus, which I imagine is possibly a continuation uh, or an expanded version of the old ninth edition. Well, old, it's a couple, you know, a year old. Uh, the uh, ninth <laughs> edition, it, it's probably most likely is an expansion of the ninth edition launch trailer. High Lords, which is about corruption in the Imperium government. And Astartes 2, the sequel to the fan-favorite animated online series Astartes. And so a whole bunch of titles. And one thing that excites me is that they're all being done in, like, different animation styles. There's mm-hmm. more traditional, like, cell-style animation. There's 3D animation. Different styles of cell animation. Different styles of 3D animation. Some very realistic. Some much more stylized. I- I'm really digging the variety that we're seeing. Yeah, it has a very, like, um, love death robots uh, type feel to it with, like, different different ways of storytelling, different styles, different uh, genres even. Uh, and I think that's really cool. Yeah, no, very much so. And we've been waiting for also, like, we've got all these cool animations coming. When are, like, when are we getting them and where are they going to be distributed? Because that's been kind of the $64,000 question is, where are we going to get to watch these? And so now we have an answer. And admittedly, based on uh, fan response, it's a kind of a divisive one. We're getting a new streaming service called Warhammer Plus. Um, According to Games Workshop, this quote, this brand new service is heading your way in July and you'll be able to start watching all these shows and more on your favorite device from your mobile or tablet to your 4K TV thanks to a bespoke app created by a big name in VOD content. Of course, Warhammer Plus will offer far more than these animations. The full lineup and awesome subscriber benefits will blow your socks off. Their words. Uh, We'll have more news about how it works and how you get it on the 23rd of June, unquote. So we don't know how much it costs yet. We don't know what platforms it will be available on, but apparently there is an app that will also be available at least to some televisions and, uh, you know, various mobile devices and more than just the animation, which makes me wonder if we're going to see some of the, like the painting tutorials and things like that, that we've seen on like Mm -hmm. Warhammer TV on YouTube ported over to this maybe extended versions of some of that you know it sounds like they want to drop more content than just you know a dozen animations yeah i mean that's my i guess that's my kind of concern about this is if it's just um just the animated stuff like is it going to be worth it for an ongoing subscription service for a new new streaming platform uh they're gonna have to add other things to it they're gonna have to add you know, their Twitch content, they're going to have to add painting tutorials, like lore dives, interviews, match commentary, things like that. Like, it it can't just be this. <laughs> Otherwise, it's, yeah. Two things I'll, I think of it is, is, one, maybe some of the more content will be the upcoming events, and they'll probably maybe stream more than one table, because that would be interesting. Mm-hmm. But the other thing this reminds me of is, back in the day, I'm saying that old, um, when NFL Network started up they're like what are you going to put on nfl network you sh- you don't even show the nfl games how are you going to have enough content to make a, a whole channel and i mean not all the stuff's good in there but they did so 
I would argue that they still have it, but yeah, sure. I, I, can, I see your point. <laughs> I, w- I would argue a decade later they still haven't, but yes, uh, I, I see no, where you're going with that. <laughs> no, that, 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 is, that is fair, Kevin. That is fair. I, I, I think won't, won't argue NFL, that with you. <laughs> I think I've watched NFL Network one time in the last year, and it was to watch the condensed version of Super Bowl 50, so, or 55. The one the Chiefs won, <laughs> not the one they lost. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but... That's but that's my fear. It's like even how how do you how do you make this feature rich enough yeah. that yeah that like there's enough to justify the expense or do you price it at a super low price where it's like a dollar or five dollars a month and okay yeah then it's it doesn't matter if there's a bunch of stuff on there like I remember when Disney Plus launched over a year ago. Everyone complained, like, well, all that's on there is the Mandalorian and a bunch of old Disney stuff. And it's like, that's still thousands of hours of content. And, like, people were still complaining that it wasn't enough. So, I I don't know. It's I've seen a lot of streaming platforms fail. Uh, and I, I hope they don't throw – I hope they don't, like, throw a lot of resources at this and it fails. And then this becomes kind of a, a problem. I, I hope it works, but – well, yeah, because it's not not like all these animated series are going to drop at the same time. They're not just going to dump yeah. all the content because then what you'll have is somebody will buy it for a month, binge it, and yep. then unsubscribe. So they've got to like do this as a slow bleed. But do they have enough content? Yeah, to make even a slow bleed worthwhile. A- and Warhammer is, I mean, I-, I love I love the hobby, but. It's a niche audience within a niche audience within a niche yeah. audience. Like I'm, I'm glad this is happening. Yeah, but it's like the people who are going to subscribe to this are a small subset of Warhammer fans who are themselves a small subset of people who will pay for streaming sci-fi, like sci-fi only stuff. Yeah, and so it's like, do they have an? Is there enough of a subscription base to make that even worth it? Now. I do love that they're bringing in a lot of animators and, and they're bringing in people who have done animations as 40k fans rather than hit them as with a cease and desist. They're hiring them, which yeah. is great. And and I, I do hope it's successful. But yeah, it's like, what what do you put on this that is going to make it worthwhile to enough fans to make it worth the time? It it makes me wonder if they're and maybe this is the way that they're going to do some of this. And I, and I I know that it's like there's some options to do this, but like Amazon has on their streaming platform various channels you can subscribe to and, you know, and pay out, you know, and pay extra a month like that. I wonder if that's what they're going to be doing is they're going to be partnering with a Amazon. And that's just the one that kind of comes to mind because I know they're the one that has like specifically the channels. If they're going to get partner with like Amazon Prime, make it a channel available on their streaming service that you just pay a little bit extra for per month and then like, they don't have nearly the overhead and they get offered at sure. a lower price or they don't have to have as high, high number of subscribers. I don't know. Like that, that seems the only way I can think of it that it would make it viable. Um, but again, we'll find out more on, on the 23rd when they, uh, when they announce more data uh, details, but yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm curious, but I'm very like cautious as well. Cause I'm like, man, this could go poorly. <laughs> yeah. It, and and I'm with you. It's like if it ends up going poorly, then we risk Games Workshop basically, you know, dumping all the animation stuff and and well, making this so, a one-off experiment. 
it this isn't this is not even on the same scale because it's completely different companies and completely different like magnitudes of of money involved. But uh Warner Brothers and AT&T basically are splitting. And one of the big parts of why AT&T is getting rid of Warner Brothers is because HBO Max didn't get the millions and millions of subscribers they expected, especially with moving all of their movies out of the theatrical window onto streaming. So if something like HBO Max, which is widely considered to be one of the most you know best streaming services out there, has a wide range of content, if that's not enough to subs- to survive in the streaming wars and like you're, you know, business corporate daddy, as uh, John Oliver likes to call it, uh, is decided <laughs> that they're going to sell you. Ah, it makes me really nervous about a smaller company trying to get into streaming and breaking through. Yeah. And also, there's a very real thing that is stre- streaming service fatigue. There are so yep. many now that it's like, even if they're like, there's services that have shows like I wouldn't mind watching, but it's like, I already... Like, I didn't sign up for CBS All Access when, like, Star Trek Discovery and Picard came out because, like, I don't want to pay for another streaming service just to watch mm-hmm. a couple of shows. And now it's, what, Paramount Paramount Plus is what that's been rolled into, and I yeah. don't want to subscribe to that either because I'm already on – I already have an Amazon Prime subscription. I already have Netflix. I already have Hulu and bundled with Disney Plus, and it's like I'm – tired of more yeah. more streaming services now warhammer i you know partly because i'm a i you know partly because we are warhammer content producers i i Ooh, don't, have don't kind say of, that way that sounds awful <laughs> well we that sounds are. way too pretentious oh i don't like that i don't like that at all <laughs> go on <laughs> we produce warhammer content get over it Ugh, I hate that. Anyway, go on. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, because I, I, yeah, we, I am a member of a team that produces Warhammer content. I kind of have a vested, I guess, amateur interest because it can't be a professional interest. But because we don't get paid enough to to make this our our full time jobs. But um, wait, you get paid? Sorry. Well, we oh, have a pay. We have a Patreon. I that know. I know. Funds I the know. operation, but <laughs> but I don't pull a paycheck from it. But so it's 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 amateur because it's literally for the love of the game. But uh, you know, I do have a vested interest in, in subscribing to this, so I will. But if I wasn't, I'd have to think really long and hard about it. It'd be a really it'd be a really hard decision, and I don't know if I would be leaning towards it. So I'd have. We'll find out more information. Near the end of June, and I think that's what is really going to be the sales pitch for people. Yeah, absolutely. Like, right now, we're kind of spitballing it based on a very limited information set. Well, and I hope that GW is just as thoughtful about this, because they had talked for, what, half a decade, five years, six years, about coming up with a list-building app, and then they released a list-building app and said, hey, it's five bucks a month. And people like shit themselves in anger over that. So like, I, I just, I hope that they're thoughtful about how they roll this out and they, how they price it so that they don't piss off the audience, uh, and, and cause it to fail. Like I, I, I want it to succeed. I want more of these things to happen because I think it is a very cool way to get the story out there and to break through to potentially outside of that core audience of just people who play the game. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just, it, it's, it's a big risk. <laughs> It's also one of the reasons why I'm sad that it's going to be on its own streaming service because this this won't reach people outside of the forty the Warhammer fandom. 
Like you want this on, which, you know, maybe if it's a channel on Amazon Prime, that's might be the best case scenario under this. But it's still not like if you're not a fan, it's like if you're not a fan of horror, you're not subscribing to the Shutter channel. You know, if you're not a fan of BBC, you're not going to subscribe to BritBox. Uh, and, And so this is the same kind of thing. It's like I would have rather have seen them work a deal to get this onto a service, whether it be Amazon Prime or I, I mean, I doubt who both Hulu and Disney Plus are obviously Disney. It's not going to happen there. Uh, but like, and, and Netflix, I don't think would necessarily give them the time of day. We're still waiting on the Magic the Gathering animated series that Netflix was supposed to do like uh, two years ago, and that hasn't materialized and magic is yeah. way bigger than Warhammers. So, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't, I, I really wish this had f- greater reach than outside the fandom and, and, you know, by fan, you know, for the fans is fine, but I'd really like to see it be a, a growth opportunity. And I don't think it's quite yeah. there yet, but maybe it's one of these things where like people will share it with their friends and like, Hey, I just, here, come out like when we can get together in person again or do watch online watch parties or things like that, you know, maybe people can share it and be like, okay, this is this is some cool stuff. Like I I will totally share this with my parents. Because my dad my dad actually subscribed to the Warhammer YouTube channel just because he was kind of interested. <laughs> you know, he was like I was showing him some nice. of the animation stuff they've been doing. And so he's kind of intrigued. And so I don't know if I could get him to subscribe, but I could definitely share what I'm watching with him. Yeah, but well, and I think a good way to kind of transition out of this conversation is just to mention as well, like the act talking about the actual animations, what they've shown so far, like they showed the little sizzle reel looks amazing. They showed the mm-hmm. first five minutes of uh, Angels of Death and it's amazing. Like go to the Warhammer community site, watch things, get excited. Like the projects themselves are going to be good. I have questions about the distribution model, but people way, you know, way smarter than me are getting paid more money to come up with the solution. So hopefully they know what they're doing. Yeah, hopefully, you know, they're, they are willing to learn and adapt, which they have been so far in the last couple, yeah. last few years. So, yeah. so if nothing else, even if it doesn't go great at launch, uh, hopefully they'll stick with it and adjust their plans accordingly. Speaking of new plans, uh, we also have a list of new events. Now we talked about this last episode because they had just, they had just dropped that they were going to do a series of like a U.S. Open series. But we didn't have a lot of information on it other than the cities it was going to be in. It was going to be in Orlando, New Orleans, and Austin. And then with a finals in Los Angeles. So now we know more about what the event is going to be like. And again, there's been some interesting fan response, including responses from some of the friends of the show that have been kind of concerned. And so we'll explain why. Uh, So... We had the initial announcement, and so now here's how these events are going to run. And again, I'm just going to read this straight from the Warhammer community website. Uh, the And I'm going to skip the Age of Sigmar part because not necessarily applicable to our listener base, but the information is there as well. So the Warhammer 40,000 Grand Tournaments will have 256 player spots available and will use missions and rules from the most recent Grand Tournament mission pack. After four rounds, all players will be bracketed into pods of 16 players with an equivalent record, ensuring the remaining rounds are played with their most closely matched opponents. Each tournament will include... 
Each tournament will include three rounds on Friday and three rounds on Saturday with two bracketed final rounds on Sunday. Uh, each event will present two equal top awards, one for the player with the best overall record. Any ties will be broken by the quality of their competitive performance and player with the best combined paint and competitive score. Numerous other awards will be presented for categories such as army painting, bracket wins and runner up finishes. Uh, your safety is of paramount importance. We've selected venues that provide enormous amounts of space, ensuring this quantity of players is able to remain socially distanced. These will be the first official Warhammer Age of Sigmar and Warhammer 40,000 events of their respective new editions, and it will be and will award points where appropriate for U.S.-based ranking systems like the ITC format. Event packs will go live with ticket sales. Uh, the top two players from each grand tournament will be invited to attend the grand tournament series final. This makes six players for 40k and six players for Age of Sigmar. The final event celebration is slated to take place at the Warhammer Citadel in Gra Grapevine, Texas, on December fourth and fifth. Okay, so the finals will Wait, not be in LA. Grapevine? They're going to be in. They're going to be in Grapevine. I, apparently, I overlooked yeah. that. Oh my gosh. I'm surprised, but I'm wondering if it might be because they're not sure on what they'll be allowed to do in California. Uh, and that so, could be. And Texas is a little bit more wide open on things right now. That you know, is, that is whatever true. your feelings on that may be. And so the venues they've chosen, the Warhammer Open Orlando 2021 will be at the Hyatt Regency Orlando. Um, they showed how big the, like the ballroom, the game that they're going to be holding it in. Um, and the dates, we also have event dates. Orlando, Florida's event is going to be the 14th and 15th of August. The New Orleans event, which will be at the Hyatt Regency New Orleans, will be the 2nd and 3rd of October. And the Fairmont Austin will be hosting Warhammer Open Austin 2021 on the 20th and 21st of November. And the reason that's raised some concerns is because... Uh, the Orlando, Florida tournament is the same weekend as the Flying Monkey Con. <laughs> and the Austin event is the same weekend as the Renegade Open. <laughs> These are relatively large events, although admittedly they're not quite up to 256 players yet. But that's, I mean, that's still major overlap with some events that have kind of made themselves re major regional events. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm kind of of like two opinions on this, though. Like, it sucks that they're running events sponsored events so close to other events but also like everything is so compressed this year with events just now starting again and there were a lot of events before anyway that i don't know that this could have been avoided like i don't know that there's just any open weekends where like they could drop a 256 player tournament and not take people from other events like i feel bad for the people running the events because they're friends of ours and I don't want them to lose players to their events, but at the same time, like, I I don't know that this could have been avoided really either. Right. And I'm following up with that, Kev, is these events, they probably had to work with the hotels to find a weekend that was also available at the hotel. For sure. And, and we know when we were looking at other places for um, ours, that's a difficult thing to do. Yeah. Event planning sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and and I guess on the the positive swing is you only have to I guess win one I mean, I, I think the experience is you just play in one to get the experience of it and so like you don't have to go to all three I know some people will try um, but like if you had like flying monkey you really wanted to go to you could try and go to one of the other of the 
U.S. Open ones, or if you were going to Renegade Open, try to go to one of the others. So I, I think it'll work out. Also, if we have like only 256 slots for each, and it's open to anyone in the country, I I really think the tickets are going to sell really fast. Yeah, well, I I've true. I've seen I've seen some commentary on this, and and one is to that agrees with what you said, Kevin, is that. Eventually, you're going to have overlap with so many with events starting up. And we are already starting to hit this even before COVID. There are only so many weekends in a year. <laughs> and sure. eventually, as more and more 40K events spun, spin up, because 8th edition was very successful, and we saw a lot more competitive events popping up, eventually, you're going to overlap with other events. That is that is just going to happen. Most events are regional. The one concern about this one is because it is specifically for ITC points, being a larger event is a larger draw because they're worth more points. Very true. So a player who's looking to chase a world title and who has the option of like a hundred and a hundred plus person event in Wichita or Minnesota and a 256-person event in Orlando or Austin may very well choose the larger event because it's worth, you know, it's it's worth more points to go for the big title. You know, that's absolutely a thing that might happen. So, True. so there is that concern. But the flip side of that is the the number of people who regularly attend 40, uh, you know, 40k tournaments is actually a a very small minority of the 40k player base. Mm-hmm. And so this these events being promoted at the Warhammer community level as like these are official Warhammer events that may draw more players in that that would normally not att- attend like an established GT. True. Cuz these yeah, have the GW sure. seal of approval on them. So it's it's a little bit you know it the sort the sword cuts both ways. It's like it does suck for the regional events that have been planning, have had their dates locked in for a year or more to have this mm. dropped on them. It that it it does strike me as unfortunate, and it's unfortunate that the organizers of those events weren't really given a lot of heads up before this dropped. As in, they weren't yeah. given any. Yeah, I, I think that's where I can certainly um, criticize GW with these announcements is that they, sh- you know, they have done a better job of working with the tournament organizing community and the player base uh, in recent years, and they should have worked with these, you know, let people know, let the event organizers know that this is what we're looking at, this is what we're planning, and you know, tried to come up with with solutions for people. So uh, that's where I definitely can criticize them, but I think. Any weekend they picked, they were going to overlap with somebody. So yeah. I, I think it was largely unavoidable. I, but I, I think because we know that Mike Brandt of, you know, formerly the Nova Open is Games Workshop's like US events coordinator now. Like mm-hmm. he, he helps coordinate events for like Warhammer community and, and, you know, for the, like these new US Open events kind of fall under his umbrella. I, I think it would have behooved him and, may, and they, maybe this ends up being like a hindsight is 2020 thing. But I think once they had picked the dates, uh, you know, and they, if they had looked at here are other events that are happening nationwide, you know, major events, because obviously you're, you're not going to worry about every possible store level RTT, but you know, any event that's going to have over a hundred players 
which Flying Monkey will definitely qualify. Renegade definitely qualifies. Those events, it's like, you. I really wish they had reached out to them and said, okay, so on one hand, we ha- like we don't have any choice. Like These events are going to overlap with your events. What can we do to help you to kind of make up for it? You know, and maybe whether yeah. that's in promotion, prize support, you know, uh, you know, even offering to like, what can we can we help offset the cost of your hotel space or something to make up for the fact that you may very well lose players to this? Like, it yeah. seems like that's something that 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 could have been done. If even if it did happen. It like we don't know about it, but from the sound of the reaction, it, it definitely was a surprise to the people organizing these other events that these were the dates picked. So I, I, I think in the future, Games Workshop could do more, and I don't think it's too late for them to do more because we're talking about events in like August and November. These are several months out. I real I think you know GW, if you're listening, it might be good to like reach out to these event organizers and find out like what can we do to make this right. Yeah. And I like I like your idea of talking about kind of like promoting the local events and stuff because you know as Dennis mentioned, 256 spots is a lot, but it's they're going to sell out pretty quickly. How how fast did LVO sell out last year, or two years ago? Oh yeah. Um, well, think about like Ade- so, well Adepticon. Think about yeah. how fast Adepticon yeah. sells out. So being able to promote these other events, like hey, you know, this is the weekend we picked for this. That same weekend, if you didn't get your tickets here's the Renegade opener, here's Flying Monkey, or uh, there was another one, I think, up in New Jersey. That's the same weekend as one of them. Like, here, you know, here's a local, you know, local uh, major event, you know, in, you know that, that people could go to as well that's the same weekend. So I I think that could be a good solution to help kind of promote Dean's events outside of this. But yeah, I, I, I have a feeling that GW will be able to learn from this and you know, do better going forward. It's unfortunate that it went down this way. Agreed. Agreed. Um, also, I had the format is is interesting because we have mixed feelings on pods. <laughs> <laughs> We've had some interesting experience with pods, yeah, both yeah. from playing in events with pods and running an event with pods. And like the the pod system real like it's great for the people like if these bra- okay these these pods are 16 people right yep mm-hmm. a 16 person pod is great for the people like in the first top like the first pod it's actually really cool for the people ranked like 8th through 16th it really sucks for the person who's in 17th also yeah. true because yeah. they'll never break out of that bracket now the person in that bracket probably won't end up with the best overall record, obviously, because they to end up in that pod, they've probably lost at least one game. But it like it really sucks if you are the 17th player and the person who is 16th ends up losing all their pod games and you win all of yours. You have a better record, but hopefully the ITC points will not care about pods and we'll just look at overall performance. Um, I think and, so. And also, if you look at how they have the top two, they don't mention pod. They just say top score and top score plus painted. Yeah. So uh, we'll we'll see how that and, and that's, you know, I, I'm glad to see that like Renaissance Man is, is and I, I would expect nothing less of GW. But I do like that they are doing just like a best general best overall award. Yes. And, and they the, are those are the two part- that go on. Yep, and they they do have prizes for bracket wins, so they're they're like you don't go all empty handed necessarily if you end up in the second pod. 
and and what, know, what about like the tenth pod? Tenth uh, pod should still get something, hopefully. Yeah. How about the sixteenth uh, pod? And, <laughs> but now, what I also find interesting is we have we're sending two players from each event to the finals, which means we've got six players in a final. This is obviously not going to fall into a normal Swiss like Swiss match system because somebody would get like one game. It's like, the, you know, unless one of these six or like two of these six people get a buy, that doesn't make any sense. I so bet it's think, round robin. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think that's where like five games round robin. For, so like, cause they said it's going to be the fourth and fifth, which would be, I imagine is of December, which is probably a Saturday, Sunday. I believe so. So like everybody is going to play everyone else. Yeah, which, Saturday, Sunday, which I, th- I kind of like that because it means nobody gets knocked out because of one bad matchup necessarily. Right. Yeah. My my only thought is now that I know it's in Grapevine is do they take um, spectators or are they going to shut down the store? Or are they just going to shut down the cafe part? Well, they say it's a the final event there. celebration, which tells me they'll probably allow spectators. Because I'm going. I mean, it's it's 30 minutes away. I, I'm, I'm going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, it's an interesting format for the finals and very different than what we've seen before. And, you know, even at 256 players, these events are are not on the scale of an LVO or an Adepticon because those are like 400 plus, 500 plus mm-hmm. player events. But, I mean, these are still going to be like some of the largest 40K events in North America. Yes, so and in the world honestly and eventually i imagine we'll see like european open series oh that hasn't happened yet but uh i wouldn't be surprised if 2022 sees like a european open system yeah that wouldn't surprise me at all yeah so it's interesting uh june 14th is when tickets for all three events go up for sale uh and that's when the uh mission packets will be available so uh Kind of interesting to see where this is going to go. Also, they are going to have, you know, kind of the the thing we're exp- used to from like an LVO or an uh, Adepticon where they have a retail presence on site, including exclusive models. And uh, honestly, the 40K exclusive model is the most disappointing of the two. And not that it's bad. It's it's yeah. it's OK. It's a standard Necron Lord thing. It's 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 fine. It's fine. But that Age of Sigmar model is awesome. Yeah, yeah she's great. <laughs> yeah, uh, GW's done a really good job with the exclusive models. Like they they have a uh, right now their exclusive store open models or store anniversary models is like a Necron Cryptech and a uh, a Stormcast, and they're they're both really good models too. So yeah, yeah, the, I'm I, I like things. <laughs> so so no actually, more left tenants. <laughs> Uh, not not yet. They're doing Necron. They're doing Necron characters for the next like several years until people get si- tired of those, and then they'll go back to primaris lieutenants. <laughs> I, I might actually like. I have enough of a Stormcast army uh, that I might actually pick up the Stormcast because our store local store opening anniversary is next week here in KC. Oh, so. nice, nice. Because which we never got to attend because we were busy doing Midwest Conquest. So True. this is like the yeah. first time <laughs> since they've opened that I'll be able to attend on the anniversary week. Nice. But yeah, the uh, the opens, it 
it's interesting. I think there's some things they could have done differently, but I'm I'm curious to see how this all ends up playing out. I'm excited. Yeah. And then finally, we have the uh, return of pre-orders. And they were kind of off pre-orders for a few weeks while they kind of got everything caught up. But now we have, obviously, Adeptus Mechanicus Codex is up for pre-order as of yesterday, as well as their data cards and dice, which their dice are perfectly readable and functional. And I really like the new dice having symbols on only one side. I, I just want to continue to praise them for that. I was I was half expecting to look at it, and it would be because uh, it's the Mechanica symbol on the six, and then yeah. it would just be the flipped version of the Mechanica symbol on the one, so they'd be super confusing. So I was really happy that they weren't. <laughs> I was expecting it to be in binary. That would have actually been cool. I would have been cool with that. That would have also been very cool. <laughs> um, see, we've got the Skatari Marshal with his. Uh, his staff of bonk go to Omnisaya jail. His bonk and stick. <laughs> his bonk and stick. And his backpack for sandwiches. <laughs> if, if you're not sure we're referring to, they posted an image to uh, social media about a week or earlier this week, uh, show, highlighting a number of features of the Skatari Mar- Marshal and the staff just said, bonk, go to Omnisaya jail. So <laughs> it was just, it was, it was just a good chuckle moment. Sensible chuckle. Uh, and the new combat patrol, which we'll talk about more when we get to the actual codex review. Um, some new shirts from the Warhammer merchandise site for Mechanicus, which look badass. If I was a Mechanicus yeah. player, I would absolutely grab one of these. Uh, we get a standalone Lelith Hesperax. She no longer ha- do you have to buy Piety and Pain, which is no longer available to get her new model. However, you still can't buy the Sisters Palantine because I imagine they're holding her for the uh, Sisters Codex release. Makes sense. Um, We finally get... They did promise us that in May, uh, Heavy Intercessors would be available outside the Pariah Nexus box, and they have delivered. Uh, So those are now available, as well as the Captain that was included in that box. And uh, we also get a new uh, Space Marine Combat Patrol, which is Vanguard-focused, as in it includes all the, or not all, but most of the models from the Imperium side of Shadow Spear and an Impulsor added. Yeah. And you you ran the numbers on this one, didn't you, Kevin? Yeah. Um. So I, I did it for all of the starters. You know, it, it, they all pretty much come out to kind of the same, you know, Four, you know, four seventy-five to four thirty, four fifty, you know, points. Um, this one comes out to four, to five hundred and fifteen. Uh, it's you know one one HQ, one troop, uh, one fast attack, one heavy, and you know, and a transport. So you get a good variety of models. I think it does a really good job of not overlapping too much with any of the other Space Marine combat patrols. So I think it, you know, you now have basically uh, five. You know, five combat patrols for Space Marines that all have different things and and do different, um, different include different models and different aspects. So, you know, you've got some cool options to be able to kind of uh, pair together and uh, get you know get things uh, get get you know build a Space Marine force. Um, I'm still surprised that suppressors are only available in the Monopose combat patrol box, but. Oh, at some point, I, I assume they'll release suppressors as an actual unit. Um, but yeah, like this is a good, you know, this is a good value. The impulsor itself is a 
$70, $80 model. So like, you know, if you're interested in getting, you know, for example, if you want to pick up another box, you know, want more suppressors and a transport, you basically get the rest of the models in here for free. So, um, yeah, it's a good, uh, it's a good deal and it doesn't overlap too much with any of the other combat patrols for space Marines. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then Necrons, we get standalone flayed ones. So once again, you do not have to buy Pariah Nexus to get flayed ones. Although, as you, ha- as you and Richard pointed out, putting these together is a walking nightmare. <laughs> they are great, I, mo- like they're awesome models, but yeah, they're just they they're spindly. <laughs> I still have not attempted. Like again, I, I was waiting basically for this to where I could just get more of them because five like really is only good for like kill team. Mm-hmm. And so now you can. Yep. And then we've got the Chronomancer also available. And then we get the Necron Combat Patrol, which is not made of models from another set, because those are all covered in, under like the uh, starter various starter set products. And instead, we get something very different. Uh, we get a Necron Lord, or actually, that's Necron Overlord, I believe. Overlord, yeah. We, yeah. yeah, we get the Necron Overlord. We get uh, 10... Immortals slash death marks, and they actually show it being built as five and five. Uh, we get a unit of three tomb blades and a death scythe slash night scythe flyer. Yeah, no, this is a good one as well. Like this pairs very well with all of the other products that are out there. You know, if you want to get one of the you know the the elite or the um, commander start you know um, starter box, then this pairs really well with it because you're not overlapping any models. You're getting a lord and a cryptek and you know uh, uh, warriors, um, and in this case you're getting immortals and you know other things. You're getting transports, you're getting vehicles, you're getting the tomb blades, um, which are all really good, useful models. So again, I think they've done a really great job of putting it. This one comes out to about 535 points, uh, you know, built as on the box, which is obviously always a little bit nebulous because. Five, you know, 10 death marks versus 10 immortals is different prices and stuff. But, um, you know, building it the way they've built it on the box it falls right into that 500, you know, a little over 500 points, points for you. You've got, you know, HQ troops, an elite, a fast attack and a flyer. Like it's just a really cool ability to go through it and, you know, and have a good variety that you can pair and build up with, um, with the other, the other products that are out there for Necrons. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, I, yeah. I really liked the the contents of this one when they when they revealed it. And so, yeah, it's and like I said, it it doesn't overlap. It, I mean, the closest thing to overlap is if you had the elite edition, you'd end up with two very different looking overlords, which is not yeah. necessarily terrible. Uh, so, you know, yeah, you exactly. Run yeah, whichever I, one you want. Right. I I like I like this a lot. I will probably pick one up. Yeah. And everything in here is good. Like, Tomb Blades are good. The Night Scythe, Doom Scythe is good. The Overlord is a kick-ass model. Like, it's one of those where, because of the flexibility in the kits, even if you already have a Necron army, you know, you can pick this up and be like, well, okay, I want to build it specifically to make more Death Marks and, you know, a a heavy support flyer, you know, gunship. Uh, or you can do it uh, several ways. Like it, it's it's really flexible, so I, I do like that. And, and with that flexibility, it's like this is a combat patrol. I could honestly see doubling up on too. I mean, mm-hmm. you'd end up with a pair yeah. of overlords, which you know 
that's fine, but Is you'd have <laughs> 20, yeah, but you'd have 20, 20 bodies for either immortals or death marks, mix and match, six tomb blades, because again, tomb blades are really good, a uh, pair of flyers, so you could do a doom scythe and a night scythe and just take, you know, whichever one you feel like. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, honestly, it's, it's a good set and yeah, good compliment for the elite edition stuff. Yeah. It's just, it's a really good one. And I'm, I'm really, I think, I think any, well, you know, people wanting to get into Necrons would not be unhappy with any of the starter level products. And I would consider, I consider a combat patrol starting a starter product. Oh, for sure. For sure. So yeah, I think, I think you'll be happy with any of these. And, uh, that is all the news and new releases. Uh, we will, again, uh, when we get close to the end of the second half, we will look at whatever has been announced for next week's pre-orders. But until then, let's move over to your listener mail. As always, these letters are written by you, the listeners, and we'll tell you how to get your letter read on the air at the end of the segment. So first up, we have a letter from John Hulemo. John writes... Hey, Rob, I'm a returning Warhammer 40k player, and the last time I played was back in 4th edition. Shortly before I stopped playing, I experimented with Thousand Suns. My interest in 40k has recently been revitalized, mostly thanks to several friends also returning to Tabletop. Uh, This podcast has also helped me get excited to play again. Well, thank you, John. Glad we can be of assistance in that regard. Uh, He continues... I decided to pick up where I left off by playing Thousand Sons. Their lore and history really interests me, and I like the idea of playing a psychic heavy army. I know Thousand Sons are in a bad spot so far in 9th edition, but I decided I am going to tough it out until their new codex is released. In the meantime, I was hoping I could get some advice on how to build a 2,000-point army. I'm not going to play tournaments. I just want to be competitive enough to give my friends a challenge. I don't mind adding a little chaos soup to strengthen some weak spots, but it is important to me to keep the army mostly Thousand Sons. So far, I've bought the Thousand Sons Start Collecting Box another box of rubrics, a box of scarabs, and a demon prince. I was also playing around with the idea of picking up Magnus. Uh, Thank you for your help, John. P.S. Any suggestions for psychic powers would also be greatly appreciated. Uh, So um, first off, uh, praise for, you know, wanting to to stick with an army, even when it's in uh, kind of a rough spot right now until they get a codex update. So, you know, much, you know, many props there. Uh, as far as like where to go to get a 2000 point army. First off, uh, if you're playing Thousand Suns, get Magnus. Absolutely buy Magnus. Yeah. yeah. Magnus it's is a great phenomenal. centerpiece model. He's amazing. He's not impossible to beat, so you're not going to just roll over your 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 friends in casual games, uh but he is he is a beast that like is going to help make your army work a lot better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you want to be competitive with your friends, Magnus will definitely help get you there. Uh, so with the assumption of buying Magnus, because yeah, our vote is definitely for buying Magnus. I went ahead and um, put together like what he has right now, plus that. And so what he comes out with, he's got uh, Armin on a disc of Zinch, a demon prince of Zinch, giving him wings because why wouldn't you? Two units of 10 rubrics. Uh, and I went ahead and gave them Inferno bolt guns and one soul reaper cannon each. Uh, you could play around with that points wise if you want to do warp flamers or you know decide not to do the soul reaper mm. cannons. Uh, and then the unit of ten zangors went ahead and gave it uh, gave them a brayhorn because it lets them advance and charge better. And then the unit of scarab terminators again with one soul reaper cannon. 
And then again with Magnus, that comes to 1,502 points. So you are not far from uh, where you'd need to be for uh, 2,000 points. Um, and at this point, like with, like I said, you could adjust some more gear a little bit and get, you know, shift your points around just to get a few. So there's a number of possibilities. Um, one, which we talked about in our uh, start collecting series when we talked about chaos is we determined that the demons of Zinch start collecting box is actually a really good complement to the thousand suns. Mm-hmm. And uh, in fact, that one, um, the way it's pictured on the box comes in at 472 points. So you could easily dro- just drop that in. It does make a legal patrol detachment. You could, you could literally drop that in. It's very thematic still. Um, it would give you a bit more psychic, a, you know, a little bit of extra psychic punch. Some of the, like, the flamers and, like, screamers are good. Flamers are a little bit weird. Um, You'd get a unit of 10 pink horrors. I don't, 10 might not be enough. Yeah, 10's probably not, like, ideal. But at the same time, like, just picking the box up and being able to, like, start with it. Yeah, you might decide that later, like, maybe dropping the screamers for more pink horrors or something. But, yeah. I mean, now, another possibility you could go with. Zangors are best in large blobs, so I could see going up to, uh, like, up to squads of 20, mm-hmm. and I could even, like, I could even see getting two squads of 20, so you'd have to buy, like, three more boxes of Zangors, and that gets, that gets you to 1782 and gives you a couple of, like, big things to, like, rush forward try to push people off objectives while you're shooting them with like Rubik Marines and Terminators uh, and casting spells at them. Um, you could even add as an elite, you could add a Zangor Shaman, mm-hmm. which gives you another Psyker, which would get you to 1867. Um, at that point. Well, something like a, a Mutalix, uh, a Mutalith, uh, Vortex Beast would go really well, I think with like that Zangor blob. Because he has the ability to kind of hand out buffs to, to nearby units. I'm not exactly sure what his points are, but I think he's right in that, like, 180, 200. Okay. He's 135. He's oh, he's less than I thought. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Adding that gets us to 2002, which means it's a matter of adjusting points a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I mean, if you wanted to, you could drop one of the units of Zangors down to, like, 18 like have one of 20 or one, and one of 20 and one of 19 or something like that. Um, yeah. Or you could, yeah, it's like, yeah, you'd have this like big beast and these squads to just push forward and then back them up with, with rubrics and, and scarabs. Or if you didn't want to go with the shaman and vortex beast, you could uh, add a second unit of occult terminators you know, the mm-hmm. Scarab Terminators, uh, that gets you to like 1974, which again gives you points to to play with a few other things. Um, Terminators, I imagine that they're going to get more wounds when they do drop their codex. So I could absolutely see uh, Scarab Terminators being really solid in, in their new codex. So this is kind of future-proof your army a little bit. Yeah, I, I think it, it kind of just depends on how, where you want to take the army, because I, I could definitely see, I kind of see two paths of builds where 
you stick with a lot of the Thousand Sun units, you know, more Scarab Occult Terminators, more, um, you know, add Magnus, add in maybe another, you know, more uh, Rubric Marines, things like that. And you have a very small, very elite, very kind of deadly army. The other way would be adding in, you know, more, um, more Zangors and, or adding in like the demon detachment. And then you have the core of the unit being the elites. And then you have a lot of bodies out there kind of causing distractions. And I think they could both be fun play styles. I think it just kind of depends on how you want to do it. Um, if you're just getting back into the game, I, you know, I might suggest leaning towards maybe the smaller model count army because it's a little bit easier to paint, a little bit easier to manage starting out, but that's completely up to you playstyle wise. If, you know, you like having a few elite units and then a lot of kind of chaff to, to screen for them, that's also a perfectly acceptable way to play. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, let's see. I'm just going to play around with a Chaos Demons Patrol if I had to add that. Is it the Flux Master that's the... God, the, I can never remember the names of all the various <laughs> Zinch. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like they don't just say Herald on Disc or Herald on Chariot. It's clever names for everyone, which really don't want. But Okay, Flux Master is the one that's on a disc. Yeah, because it's the Fate Skimmer is the one that's on the Burning Chariot. Right. Of course. Okay, so if we just, like, I still recommend buying, like, if you're going to have the Zangors, I still recommend buying a second box and getting that up to a single unit to 20. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. Zangors run best that way. So, like, whatever you do, definitely do that. If you decide to go with, like, a Chaos, deta- or a de- if you decide to go with a Demon Detachment, um, a Change Caster, which is their Herald on Foot, and then two units of 20 pink horrors each, that brings, with all those changes, that brings the list to 1997 points. Nice. And then, yeah, then you would have, like, you'd have some elites, you'd have the one unit of Zangors, and then you'd have these demons running the field, because obviously, like, the change caster gives you some additional psychic powers, because you know Smite and, uh, Smite and two powers from the Zinch discipline, your, uh, Pink Horrors, no uh, Smite, and then they have the Coruscating Flames attack, so that gives you some shooting at 18 inches. Not terribly strong, but it's a lot of it. I mean, it's, you know, weight of numbers will eventually wear anything down. And uh, now, granted, their Smites, well, as long as the units are more than 20, you get full Smites. If they drop below uh, 10, they uh, then it drops to um, uh, one Mortal Wound. And you don't have to play with like the split rules or anything. I, I that that just gets messy. <laughs> but, uh, and actually, I was gonna say you don't you actually don't want an iridescent horror in there because it doesn't count as a pink horror, which is what you need twenty pink horrors to make. Because if you have twenty pink horrors and it's the same cost, your uh, coruscating flames goes up to from assault two to assault three. So you're putting out like sixty shots with coruscating flames with units of twenty. So. In an addition where you want to flood the board with uh, bodies to take objectives, that might be a way to go also. So, yeah, yeah, there's there's a number of builds you can go with. Like, you can do that small elite. You can do Zangors backed by this the Muta Beast. You can uh, run with Zinch Demons. I, I would not go just generic soup. I would... Like, if your goal is to stay as thematically Thousand Suns as possible, I would stick to Zinch, because that's also going to dovetail the best with what your army's already doing. 
So, uh, but if it's a matter of needing more bodies on the board, you definitely have ways to do that. If you need more firepower, um, you can add, again, Rubric Marines are pretty good. Uh, you also do have access to things like uh, uh, Forge Fiends, uh, Defilers, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hellbrutes, things like that. Although, again, it's one of those things where we'll have to see what the what the ninth edition codex ends up looking like, but like, I don't think you can go wrong with terminators. And after that, it's, it's just where you, where you want to take it, but definitely get Magnus. Magnus is, is going to be, I mean, he's a big chunk of your army. He's 465 points, but he's going to be f- fun to use. And he's going to make those games interesting. Cause either he's going yeah. to, they're either going to have to deal with everything else and Magnus will, survive and wreak havoc or he's gonna be a bullet magnet but that lets the rest of your army do what it wants to do and he's just a cool model too and he's just a very cool model so so john definitely take you know consider that but i think you're on the right path you've got some interesting build options and i but i think what you started with is really good basis all right, next up, we have a letter from Elliot Triebenbacher, who even provided a pronunciation guide for his name so I wouldn't get it wrong. And Elliot writes, Salutations, favored foes, longtime listener, first-time caller, so to speak, here. And I want to thank you all, first of all, I want to thank you, first of all, for helping ease me back into the hobby after several years off and having no dearth of content to churn through on the long drives I do for work. I'm playing in a small in-person tournament soon, which will have passed by the time this is read, but I found a bit of a gameplay-slash-tournament rules-slash-ethics conundrum when building my list for the event. I'm playing Dark Angels, who have access to the strategium who have access to the stratagem Secret Agenda, reprinted below for your convenience. Secret Agenda states, for one CP, use the stratagem after selecting secondary objectives or agendas. Do not reveal one of your selections to your opponent. The first time you score victory points or experience points for it, reveal it to your opponent. Note that you must still have a record of your selection. We recommend writing it down and concealing it until revealed. You can only use the stratagem once. Uh, this effect adds an in- element of hidden information, something that 40k largely doesn't incorporate into its rules, and gives rise to my question. Say, for example, my chosen secondary objectives are raise the banners high, progressive, stubborn defiance, progressive, and while we stand we fight, end of game. And I choose to use the stratagem to conceal while we stand we fight. Dark Angels also have their faction-specific martial interdiction, another end of game objective that requires the opponent to choose a character in their army. My question is whether or not I can ask my opponent to choose a character or properly use the wording of martial interdiction while I don't actually have that objective chosen. The intention here is to cause the opponent to believe I've chosen martial interdiction and play according and play around it. But the actual instruction of choosing a character feels like something of a complication. Asking the opponent, how many characters do you have? Or who's your warlord and what are their stats? In order to make the opponent believe I've chosen assassinate or cut off the head is one thing. But having the opponent take a game action that doesn't actually affect the objective seems somewhat different. I contacted the TO who ruled that I cannot ask my opponent to select a character if I haven't chosen martial interdiction because of the requirement of the opponent taking a game action. I think this is somewhat reasonable, but not. I don't wholly agree with it. Coming from a Magic the Gathering background where lying and cheating are totally different things, 
I have a saying I have a lightning bolt in hand when you don't is perfectly legal. I think I'm more inclined to think that manipulating hidden information is just part of the game. But as I said, it seems like somewhat uncharted waters for 40k. As TOs yourself, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Thanks again for all you do. And congratulations on 10 years. Best Elliot Trebenbacher. Ooh, that's interesting because he's right. Hidden information is generally not a thing we do in 40k, even at events that have in the past done the everybody selects their objectives. When you reveal them, like that's when you reveal the information you've, you've chosen Mm -hmm. and everything's kind of open. And especially if it's something that requires an opponent to take an action themselves. So I'm going to grab the Dark Angels Codex because I, I missed that one. But let's take a look at what how Martial Interdiction is actually written. Okay, so Martial, Martial Interdiction. If you select this objective, then after both sides have deployed, but before the first turn begins, and this is the one that had the typo before the fist turn begins, we won't talk about that either. Uh, your opponent must select one character model from their army. If their army does not contain any character models, then they must select their warlord instead. Score victory points at the end of the battle as follows. Uh, score six victory points if the selected model was destroyed by a melee attack made by a Dark Angels model from your... It basically, everything's based off of if this model has been destroyed, then you score points. But your opponent is the one that picks the model. So go go back to the very first line of that one just to make sure that I make sure I heard it right uh, of the uh, martial martial interdiction. Yeah, martial interdiction. If you select this objective, then that's after what I okay. Th- that's what I wanted. Yeah, okay. That right there is why you can't do it. <laughs> well, <laughs> because okay, it says that- it says you only your your opponent picks if you select it. If you don't select it, then they can't. Then yeah, I, then it is misleading to not to make them think that you've selected it. In my opinion. Um, let's see. And secret agenda is use this use the stratagem after selecting secondary objectives or agendas. Do not reveal one of your selections to your opponent. The first time you score victory points or experience points for it, reveal it to your opponent. Okay, so you can't... You, okay, here's what I would say. Yes, you may secret agenda your martial... Marshall, or no, this is a matter of not of thinking you have it and not. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so he's asking is, can you can you secret agenda something else and make them think that you did martial interdiction? And I would say no, because in martial interdiction, it says like when you select it, then you have to go through that process of doing that. And I just don't think you can. I don't think you can do that otherwise. To like to be like, oh yeah, no, like tell me which one you're gonna. Select. That's yeah. I don't. I don't think you can. <laughs> No. And, and because there's a difference between what Secret Agenda says is you don't reveal it. Yes. Until you score it. It does not say you can tell someone you have an objective you don't. Yeah. Because it also, the way Martial Interdiction is written, it says as soon as you select it, your opponent has to pick a character. So here's the other thing I would say is that if you, if you Secret Agenda and you pretend like there's no way to pretend that you have martial interdiction and you could never actually secret agenda a martial interdiction because you can never score it if you do right i mean you could you could secret agenda a martial interdiction but because you don't score it until you kill the enemy model that's been selected and your opponent cannot select the model until they know that you selected martial interdiction you could base you've basically given yourself a zero point objective you, yeah, you can't. But I would. But there's a couple of things here. I first off, I would say you can't make your opponent 
choose something that doesn't apply. Like you can ask them information about what characters do you have? Who's your warlord? That doesn't necessarily make them think you're choosing assassinate or cut off the head. That just may, that's information that you would ask when I'm trying to, like when you're trying to determine what to pick, but it doesn't necessarily say I have picked it or I'm making you think I've picked it. it since, yeah. And since martial interdiction has that component of like specifically asking your, opponent to pick a model for the objective yeah I, I don't think you can i don't think you can do that i don't think you can make them like select something and then not actually do it no that, that doesn't seem right <laughs> yeah that so that's the one thing the other thing is if the to's ruled it it doesn't matter if you agree or not yeah that's the other thing yeah elliot did the right thing by asking the to at, ahead of time if he could do that the to has said no that's where it ends And whether you come from a magic background, and also I'd say there's a different, like, while lying about what you have in your hand in magic is not cheating, is not legal, there is the question of whether it's ethical. (laughs) But here, I would say because, like, I totally agree with the T.O. that because the selection of the strat, or the, the selection of the secondary objective requires your opponent to make a decision on their part, this is one where... You can't make them think, you can't make them select something because the, the stratagem literally says your opponent has no idea what you've selected. Yeah. So they can, so they, if the mit, if you make them select something that doesn't apply, you've actually broken the rules of the game. So I, yeah, I'm going to agree with the TO and I think the TO's, the TO's logic is sound. And I would argue that there's only one army in 40k that really works on a hidden information and that's gene stealer cults because that's kind of their whole spiel Uh, don't eldar didn't eldar have a like hidden objective kind of mechanic at one time the only time i've done the hidden objective was when kevin and i were doing the narrative missions uh that's probably and i had one against him yeah it was a lot of fun and Kevin was like, okay, I can go here, but you've probably picked this. But if I don't go here and you did pick this, I'm going to lose. And, well, Kevin lost anyway, so it was funny. Yeah. Well, you know. Yeah. Turns out I'm not going to game. <laughs> it was funny because Kevin lost. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. I heart you, Kevin. <laughs> now, I you can absolutely have hidden hidden information on something where, like, if you have to pick, like, I pick an objective marker on the board and I score points if I hold that objective. That you could mm. totally hide because that's based on your own decision, and it, you would reveal it upon scoring it. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. I think it's the interaction of your opponent having to select something that I don't. That I. That's I think is where you would you know where you run into problems. Um, and I don't think that those two, as you said, I just don't think those two would work together. Yeah, yeah agreed. You, agreed. you're definitely with with the hidden agenda, like bluffing is definitely a thing that you're going to want to do with it. But that's a, a little bit outside of this tactic would be outside of the range of the mechanics of the game. Yeah, agreed. Well, and and like kind of taking it to like the magic comparison, you know, kind of like bluffing with your hand and magic and like making your opponent think you have cards in your hand is part of the game. If they have a card that is like, hey, reveal your hand, and you don't, or you hide cards so that, like, they can't see them, 
that is that's what you know that's kind of similar to this where it's like outside the rules of like what the game should you know is so like it, it is one of those things where there's like definitely a a you know, an L, as you mentioned, an element of bluffing and an element of kind of, you know, gamesmanship there. But at, at some point, like, you can't just trick your opponent into thinking something that isn't actually happening. Right. It, basically, what, like, this is the equivalent of would be, like, I'm going to cast a spell, but I'm just going to put it face down on the table and say, now you have to show me your hand. Well, why? Well, that's the spell I cast. Well, then show me the spell. I don't have to. Yeah. <laughs> well, that doesn't work. In magic, that yeah. wouldn't work that way yeah. either. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I hope you had hope you had fun at your event, though. I hope you did. Hope you did well. No, yeah, yeah, and just yeah, hidden information in 40k is a bit of a different beast than it might be in Magic. So j- just be aware of that. All right, next letter is from Dale Kimball. Dale writes, um, "I wanted to start with a big cur- congrats on the 10 year mark. That's huge. Just contemplating all the other awesome 40k podcasts that have come and gone in that time really shows off the dedication you guys have. Thanks again for doing what you do. Well, thank you, Dale. Uh, we've enjoyed doing it and we're still going to keep going. Uh, he continues. So I wrote in with a question about half a year ago. What army do I build next? We decided it was Grot Mechas. And I was making good progress on them. To be honest, I did get a bit sidetracked starting an R2-D2 Stompa for the Star Warks army. <laughs> so you can expect that in the future. My process for heavy conversion armies is the following. One, I lay a big double handful of bits on the table. Two, sprinkle liberally with plastic card, ghoul-shaped garbage, another handful of styrene rods. Three, start putting things together willy-nilly till it seems right. Yep, sound, sounds right. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, normally this works great. I'm lucky enough to have a large hobby area with a big desk so I can tinker for an hour or two, let glue or green stuff dry, come back when the mood strikes, and continue. However, this doesn't work for me now. I'm being treated for leukemia, so a giant desk piled with assorted nerdy nerdity won't fly in the hospital. But a small case with a cho- choice few models and paints will be just fine. We'll, I'll be here for four months total, so a smaller project is perfect. So I'm back hat in hand with the same question. What's next? My criteria, no converting. Head swaps and the likes are fine, but I can't do scratch builds like I normally do. Small model count. I'm really looking forward to putting my paint skills to the test. Gentle on the wallet. I know it's relative, but I'll have, it'll have to be a budget army for me to make it work. My thoughts. Maybe Marines? Always wanted to do a melee Marine force. Clean instead of my normal rusty and dusty orcs or Nurgle armies. Kind of leaning towards either a quartered chapter or something like Karcharodons with the, all the Maori-inspired scroll work on the armor. Maybe all Death Company with Celtic knotwork over the black? Something equally difficult from an obscure chapter or founding? Even noodled custodes with bare head swaps and shave off the Imperial bits for some wicked Emperor's children. Focus on the martial superiority of old instead of the noise boys for now. Anyway, thanks again in advance and looking forward to what you guys cook up. Uh, Well, first of all, Dale, we wish you all the best on your treatment and I hope everything goes well. And you know, we've got, yeah, Yeah. you got four hosts here pulling for you over the next four months. So wanting to focus on, on painting skills on a small model count force rather than something that needs heavy conversion. So I think like wanting to go, since you mentioned kind of a melee force, um, assault intercessors and, uh, uh, oh gosh, I just blanked on, uh, blade guard veterans would be a great way to start. There's a lot of really cool bits and textures and, uh, you know, and, and 
things to paint on those models. So I think that, especially the Blade Guard vets, you can do some really cool uh, paint schemes with the armor and the shields and the, you know, and the backpacks. So, and you know, they're expensive-ish models, you know, for the points. So it it would be a smaller army. So that's that's the one that kind of jumped in my head initially. Yeah, the first one for me, I, I also latched on to small model count. And so my first thought was custodes. And then I'm like, oh, he says Marines, Marines, Marines. And then he says, oh, roided out Emperor's children. Yeah, that sounds kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, that is pretty cool. <laughs> the other one I, I will toss out there, which isn't on the list, but some of it can use a ton of paint skills as Harlequins. I mean, yeah. unfortunately, it's not as conversion-y, because you'd have... Well, he doesn't I, want conversions, so... Yeah. Okay, well, Harlequins can't... I mean, you can do simple paint, but the really, really nice-looking Harlequins have some insane paint schemes on them. That is true. Yeah, you can get really crazy under, like, diamonds and the highlighting of such on there, so... Yeah, I could definitely see that one being a good choice. I kind of... I I'm, think I'm leaning with Kevin on, like... Assault intercessors and blade blade guard vets, and I think, I mean, okay, so a quartered paint scheme; those are always tricky to pull off. And if you mm -hmm. can do that well, that would be a good challenge. Um, I really like the idea of the Carchardons. Yeah, because I mean, yeah. you, you get a you get a really like you don't have to do a lot of conversion. That yeah, like you really don't have to do any conversion. It can all be done with paint job. And like if you start with uh, the captain from like who's in the elite edition i think he's up might even be in the recruit let's see you know the recruit edition gives you the uh lieutenant yeah with the, so the storm the shield the elite edition gives you the captain and fortunately those products are relatively inexpensive i mean all together that would be like 150 dollars and it would give you 10 assault intercessors, the lieutenant, the captain, some bikes, and, and the outrider bikes, I think, would also be good for a melee focused force. Mm -hmm. And that then you would also have a bunch of Necrons that, let's say, you managed to knock out this small force, which we also determined. I mean, the recruit edition, uh, let's see, Space Marines Recruit Edition uh, combined with Recruit and Elite is 530 points. And then like, and then after that, you'd have a bunch of Necrons that you could also paint so, should you so so desire. <laughs> so so that's a couple of options. Um, otherwise, some of the... Do they have a start... Or not start collect. I, do they have a combat patrol that is uh, has assault intercessors? Uh, no. I think they're all just yet. regular intercessors at this point. Let's see. if uh, Of all the the uh, combat patrols, the Dark Angels one is... I mean, that one's okay. I li like, I, if you want to have a good large canvas piece the uh, to, to work on there, the, the Redemptor Dread would give you some fun services to do, like, not work or scroll mm -hmm. work on. And and this the space wolves one a little bit more stealthy than he's probably stealth focused than he's probably wanting, yeah. But so I you know I would I would lean towards the stuff from the uh, the like the starter product the uh, elite and recruits edition, um, and you might even be able to get the halves of those cheap on like eBay or some you know mm -hmm. something like that. Um, 
and which might even be better for your wallet. Custodes would be interesting, but I think if he's doing roided out Emperor's Children, that might. It depends on how how many conversion bits he can find for those. That would be easy to swap. Otherwise, I could see that getting a little conversion heavy for what he'd have available for in the hospital. Yeah. But custodes would be a really cool one. And there's actually a lot of neat paint jobs you can do with custodes without having to do just plain gold. Although there's actually not like I'm looking at them. There's not a lot of imperial iconography actually Mm. on them that is that couldn't be passed off for the eagle from the emperor's children. Right, because it's mostly just the eagles on the shoulder pads. Yeah. No, if you want to, if you want um, an emperor's children custodes, uh, see if you can track down the uh, the custom resin sculpts that people have done of the uh, <laughs> the shirtless custodes from like if the emperor had a text to text to voice to <laughs> no, because somebody's made those. Yeah. Wow. Have and they're actually <laughs> lore consistent with some of the old 40k materials. So uh, yeah, that's a thing. But yeah, uh, painting, pure painting challenge Harlequins are definitely up there. Um, if you're wanting to do something that is a little bit different, but still 40, 40k lore appropriate, I, I love the idea of the Karchardons with Maori scroll work. I think that yeah. would be very cool. Otherwise, like, like obscure chapters or foundings, there's a lot of stuff you can do, but yeah, Car- a well done Karchardon force looks really cool. And you can like get into having fun with like, uh, like technical paints, like have fun with like playing around with blood with the blood god. Mm-hmm. I don't know what kinds of head swaps he wants to try to track down, but, uh, like you could even just do like an assault intercessor, like kill team. If you want to stay really small, like just focus, focus on like a kill team of like 10 assault intercessors or, you know, like something very combat, small combat patrol-y. Oh yeah. You can find, uh, people who have done like, and think about the cart, like the Karchardons is their armor is like a very plain gray, but, uh, but I've, I'm already seeing some that somebody posted on Reddit with uh where they've done the the like a little bit of scroll work or like the like the tattoo style work and mm-hmm. also like head swaps if you can track down more of like like the intercessor mohawk heads would work really so, well for those as well. I came across a really cool article on the Warhammer community site. Uh it's from November eighth, twenty eighteen. Um and it's uh titled Hunters of the Void um and then it's a list of this guy's uh, on army and oh my gosh, they look amazing. Like they all have kind of the different patterns on like, you know, free handed on the shoulder pads and, and on the armor itself. So that, that looks really cool. So hopefully that give you some ideas too. Oh yeah. That would, but yeah, like he's yeah. got like the, the, you know, the, the kind of, like you said, the Maori kind of tattoo patterns all over the armor and the shoulder pads, the face mask, like uh, hopefully that can give you some cool ideas. Cause I, I think that would be, a very, very cool looking army. Agreed. Totally agreed. So yeah, Dale, I think I, I'd say those are probably where we'd be leaning toward Harlequins or Karcharodons. And I think either of those could be a good painting challenge. And if you're wanting something a bit a bit beefier, the Karcharodons, but either of those is going to be a good painting challenge. And neither of them will require a ton of uh, conversion. And I bet if we look for uh you can track down 
parts like uh, you can get shoulder insignias to glue on from uh, Shapeways has a whole bunch and they have like custom axes and things that you can get that would just be easy ads. You know, it's not a lot of conversion, just bits to stick on or um, Pop Goes the Monkey has a section called Makodons, not to be, <laughs> you know, like Karcharodons, but also different. And some of them, they even have like chain axes with uh, the uh, like Maori style work added to that like sculpted onto them so uh, lots of possibilities for some very simple to get bits that wouldn't require a lot of conversion but would allow you to do like this kind of swaps that you want to do to really customize this force a couple places to go with i think all of them are good and again you know hopefully this is a good way to keep uh busy and you know keep busy in the hospital and keep the hobby moving while uh, you get treated and hopefully we'll see you on the other side with a really awesome looking army or at least small force yeah absolutely and then our final letter is from Travis Hartman and Travis writes, Hello, preferential antagonists. Greetings from Ohio. I'm a longtime listener that is coming back to the hobby after several years long break from the tail end of 7th and all of 8th due to the birth of my son, but I still kept up to date on hobby thanks to you all. With your recent talks on the new codexes and starting an army with the various factions, I think it's time to start painting again. And after pulling out all my stuff out of storage, I have come to the conclusion that I have hobby ADD bad. This led me to start off by letting stuff go, mostly half-started armies and other mini-games. This led me to starting my new sister's army, something that I always wanted but never started <laughs> due to my hate of metal models. Dennis, you're feeling that one right there, aren't you? Uh, I am, and I'm doing that right now. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, during my downtime, GW saw it fit to remake the line and even expanded it. Uh, but enough of my rambling. The reason for me writing was to ask for some advice as I wait for the new sister's codex. I still want to get some games in with my local gaming group, but I haven't played in a long time. I thought I would ask you all for your thoughts on a space wolf list as one of my first armies i couldn't sell them the other army being demonkin uh, the list is as follows so he's got uh, a battalion and an outrider detachment the battalion is uh, bjorn the fell handed a librarian with a force axe three minimum size stock gray hunter packs a unit of long fangs with las cannons and then a wolf guard terminator added with cyclone missile launcher uh, three Razorbacks with Storm Bolters and Twin Heavy Bolters. And then his Outrider is a Wolf Lord on Thunderwolf with Twin Lightning Claws and then the uh, Frost Weapons. Uh, two Thunderwolf Cav units with four each, all with all with Storm Shields, three with Thunder Hammers, one with a Chainsword, a unit of ten Fenrisian Wolves, and a Bike Squad with six bikes, all, all with Chainswords, including the Sergeant, and then an Attack Bike with a Heavy Bolter. And this comes in at 1998 points. Um, when I put it together uh, in Battlescribe, I got it to like 1993, but I don't know if that's an issue with Battlescribe or like like if that's an issue with math somewhere. But it's it, we're close enough for government work. Travis continues, the idea is to use the wolves and bikes to shove things off objectives and let the hunters and their razorbacks take them over and give fire support along with the long fangs. 
With being out of the game for so long, I'm asking, do you see any major hurdles this list will have in this edition or any improvements you might give? I'm only using what I already have in the moment due to with me being busy building sisters in anticipation for their codex release. Would love your thoughts and comments. A returning player, member of the Lost 13th, and honorary member of the Bloody Rose, Travis H. P.S. Thank you for all you guys do to keep our hobby alive and well. Keep doing what you're doing, guys, and uh, keep doing what you guys do best, and congrats on 10 years of podcasting. Well, thank you, Travis. So, I mean, this list already has some of the the better stuff. I mean, a couple mm-hmm. of units of Thunderwolf Cav is not going to do bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, Thunderwolf yeah, Cav got then, a lot of love in this in this codex. And then supplementing it with bikes to the fact that you can only have two squads now uh-huh. makes sense to me. Um, Finridersian Wolves, I, I don't own that many of them. Um, but I could see them as like, a, we've seen a lot of people use them as like a screening unit for the bigger people. Just first glance, I think this looks list looks fun. I like the idea, like he said, of having the Outrider be like the vanguard of going up there, chasing people off, while you've got your Razorbacks slowly moving up, Long Fangs in the back, just kind of taking pot shots at, at big things. Um, Grey Hunters are just there to hold objectives and be there. And Librarian's your psychic defense, and Bjorn is just a legend. I mean... Yeah. I mean, the biggest issue you might have is dealing with um like horde armies could be tricky um i i mean the i don't know if you'd quite have the firepower or the number of attacks to wear through them but i mean you won't do badly i i thought about that and i think the hordes you're just gonna have to use all the your your melee and hope your melee is good enough because what you could also do is on the long fangs like trade out well, that's just one squad of long fangs, isn't it? But yeah, it is. Trade out half the last cannons for like the heavy um, bolters, because then you get the number of shots. But I really think you need all four last cannons if there's something like a knight or a big vehicle you want to pop on the board. Yeah. Although to to be fair though, your thunderwolf calves all have thunder hammers. Bjorn opens things like they're like his weapon's a can opener. I mean, so. You might have that, but you have it only at close range. So I, I guess that's if we're afraid of hordes and you think you can get into close range with those guys quickly on the big boxes, maybe swap out the last cannons for heavy bolters if you have those in your collection. Well, let's not forget he's got the Razorbacks have he's got like th- three twin heavy bolters. So there's 18 shots yeah. with heavy bolters on the Razorbacks already. So these it's like he's got some firepower. It just. With the Grey Hunters being inside the Razorbacks, you're going to be going without their bolter shots for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you need two of the ones going to the objectives. Yeah. They, they have to be protected. And you've got the uh, heavy bolter on the attack bike, which isn't going to suffer any penalties for moving and shooting. So True. So, so I mean, uh, there, there is some. Um, it's a very well-rounded list. It covers yes. a little bit of everything. I like the fact that, as you mentioned, it's well-rounded. Like, you've got speed to take objectives. You've got speed to get out there and push forward and, you know, good melee, ability to take out heavy targets. Yeah, like, a little bit concerned about the ability to take out hordes, but, eh, I don't know. Um, There's ways with, you know, there's ways to take out hordes in this edition. So, yeah, I, I don't really have any issues with it. I think it looks good. Yeah, I mean, you've got... You know, he's got a firm battle plan. He's got stuff to hold objectives. Um, you can see it's got like, you've got 
some aggress some very aggressive components. You've added components that are, components that are are good at sitting back and doing what they do from home. It it's very fluff, like it it's very th- on theme. It's probably going to be a blast to play because I mean it's definitely not an army that's just going to be sitting there. You're going to be getting in somebody's face probably turn one, especially with the Long, Thunderwolf. Longfangs will sit there. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's why I said they're gonna they're gonna just sit there and do what they do from home is what, like what I meant. It's like, and I mean, long fangs are are still good. So yeah, they're still one of my favorite units. And you've got like the the cyclone missile launcher on a guy, so that gives you some extra shots that can be either frag or crack missiles. You know, whatever you need. Um, and see, and frost weapon is it a? It's a, an upgrade now. It's a relic stra- stratagem where you turn one of your weapons into a air quote frost weapon, treated as a relic. Yeah, that's what I thought. Oh, sorry, it's basically a relic upgrade. Yeah, adds one to the strength and damage characteristics of the weapons. And because it'd be on somebody with two twin lightning claws, both of them get better. So okay, yeah, mm-hmm. no, that's yeah. Given him, okay, so it's not a stratagem; it's a relic. Okay, and then he would just yeah. be his free relic because he's got a space wolves warlord. So okay, yeah, no, that's. That's solid, because uh, that's going to make him, let's see, <laughs> on a Thunderwolf, like Wolf Lord on a Thunderwolf, uh, Strength 4 is, so Strength 5, 2, I'm going to, I forget, I've got to go back and forth between two books to get all the stats for these. I hate that. <laughs> okay. I know we made Kevin happy with this, but I still hate it. So yeah. it would be Strength 5, AP minus 2, 2 damage. Uh, with additional attacks and because he's got twin lightning claws, so two additional attacks and uh, re-rolling wounds. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. So, yeah, I don't really have anything I'd change up on this. It's it's solid. I mean, it is it going to necessarily beat like the new hotness, like tournament level Drukari? It might struggle, but he's talking about his local game group. Just getting some yeah. games. Yeah. This will do fine. This will be absolutely fine. And our takes always like have a theme, make a list, have fun. <laughs> yep. And this this has all the pieces it needs to do to do the thing. So yeah, no, this is fun. Go for it. Go for it, Travis. This should be a good one. And if you have a list you'd like us to look at or a rules question, question about hobby. Anything you want to talk about, uh, there are three good ways to get your letter read on the air. The first is to email us. Our email addresses are our first names at preferred enemies. So Rob at Kevin at Dennis at Richard at preferred enemies.com. Uh, second is at Facebook. We are facebook.com slash preferred enemies. Uh, and you can like us there, follow us and post on uh, upcoming episodes, news, new releases, things like that. Uh, third is Twitter. We are at twitter.com slash preferred enemy singular. And we take letters and questions from all those three sources, put them in together, throw them into the hopper and get through as many as we can in an episode in a reasonable amount of time. Uh, hopper is now empty. So if you want to get your letters into us, now's a perfect time. Uh, also, if you want to help support the show, uh, we are at, uh, patreon.com slash preferred enemies now as events are starting to open up we are looking at traveling to events again so uh, while we have built up a decent coffer to help us with those events and it has also helped us keep our microphones working our hosting up to date and uh, our recording services supported um, we still really appreciate the support we do get from our fans we don't put any of our episodes behind a paywall this is just an online tip jar and uh even if everybody just put in a dollar, enough people do that, 
it really does help out. Uh, but as always, if you can, if you have the money to throw at us, we do prefer that, uh, first off, you look at any charities in your area that can use your support because while as as great as we love your support, what we love even more is people using their wargaming powers for awesome. So support stuff in your community. And then if you want, we'll be glad for the support also. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and take a quick break for sponsor identification. And when we come back, we are going to be looking at the new Codex Adeptus Mechanicus. See you in a bit. Miniatures. We build them. We paint them. We love them. That's why we also want to get them to the battle and back again safely. And that's where Kara Multicase comes in. They offer a complete model storage and transport system. They offer a wide selection of core trays for standard size miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models. KR's trays are made of a soft foam, available in a variety of colors, that won't scratch or snag your models. And to protect the foam, the trays are carried in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases. They also offer a full range of Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting your KR cases. You can even choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army, or use the Autofill app to find just the right trays for your particular force. Whatever your game, 40K, X-Wing, Warm Hordes, or Historicals, KR Multicase has the cases to fit your needs. You can find out more at krmulticase.com. KR Multicase, soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam. Are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield? Do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real? Then you need to check out the battle mats from GameMat. They're professionally designed rubber-based mats are just what your gaming table needs. Available in a variety of styles, with everything from rolling grasslands to urban war zones, winter wastelands to alien deserts, there's a GameMat mat to fit any kind of terrain. Their mats are padded, anti-slip, waterproof, and when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, just roll it up and stick it in the convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage. And if you don't have a gaming table, they've got you covered with their folding Gboard portable gaming area and their line of pre-painted resin terrain. If you're ready to upgrade your gaming table, head over to www.gamemat.eu and find the gaming mat that's right for you. Game Mat, giving your armies the battlefield they deserve. And we're back. And that means it's time for our main topic, which is our look at the new Codex Adeptus Mechanicus. Uh, now, in the uh, interest of full disclosure, we will inform you that this preview copy was provided to us by Games Workshop themselves. However, we are focused on giving our fair and honest uh, take on the book. We're, you know, just because they provide a pre preview copy does not mean we're going to be biased. And we've taken apart GW on a number of occasions in the past, so don't <laughs> think that's going to change now. So, for those of you who are unfamiliar with your 40k lore, the Adeptus Mechanicus is the imperial organization that is completely focused on the development of technology uh, in the Imperium. I'm not going to say new technology necessarily, because um, 
they I mean they do that somewhat, but the Mechanicus is especially focused on recapturing old lost technology because well we've reached the human peak and now it's you know anything else would be heresy. But uh we're definitely all about finding what humanity has done before and reincorporating that into the Imperial fold. In fact, that's where things like the the Land Raider and the Land Speeder are not named such because they go over land. They are named that because they were the STCs, the standard template constructs that create contained the schematics for those were div- discovered by one tech priest named uh Arkan Land. So uh, yes, there, there's a lot of focus on finding old technology uh, that belongs to the Omnissiah, which is basically the technology god of the Adeptus Mechanicus. They also refer to the Emperor as the Omnissiah, and you think – sometimes I feel like it's a little a column A, a little column B, that they, they do <laughs> think he's the same guy, but maybe not so much. Yeah, it's kind of like sisters. It's a little fuzzy on some of the some of the details. <laughs> yeah. And, and the fact that I refer to it as a uh, – or the fact that I mentioned that there's a tech priest, yes, this is a little less of a technical institute and a little bit more of a cult slash religion. And so the Mechanicus, they're also a very kind of secretive organization. They don't share all the best goodies. They kind of keep those for themselves. And they – they're they're right up there with the dark angels on yeah we'll support the imperium but if we get sniff of something that we're interested in bye we're gonna go get that instead um they they definitely do their own thing they also like fighting against uh they well not fighting against so much but they they uh deal with the the necrons and tau especially trying to pilfer their technology because while studying other like more advanced alien technologies would be heresy it's also good to study what they do because hey maybe that will help you finish up those sdcs you never know you know, it's like they really like to skate the line of heresy i think it, it's like obscenity well it's i know heresy when i see it that's right. not heresy because I, I i like it yeah this isn't heresy because it's useful to me yeah exactly <laughs> And so, yeah, the uh, there there's several groups that are, are involved in the Mechanicus. There's the tech priests themselves, the the various ordos of the uh, Adeptus Mechanicus, and then there's the Skatari legions underneath that. And that is the the foot troopers, the military of uh, the Adeptus Mechanicus, and they're very much in the sway and full control of the tech priests. Because it turns out that if you replace parts of people's brains with computers, and then you give the computers code to do things, that the the fleshy bits con- connected to the computers will do the things you want them to do. It's very, very cunning. Don't have to worry about that loyalty or questioning orders thing at all. Mm-hmm. So clearly the good guys. <laughs> yeah, clearly the good guys. You give them just enough freedom to be able to make good tactical decisions on the battlefield, but not so much that they'll rebel, you know. <laughs> um, they also have, like, electro-priests, which uh, worship the electromotive power that's within everyone and have figured out ways to tap into that for combat reasons. There's the Legio Cybernetica, because while robots and AI are firmly not allowed under the to be developed in the Imperium. If you find existing ones, that's A-OK, as long as they're fully under your control. Yeah, the, the Mechanicus gets away with an awful lot, I think. 
Well, and like the other, the other important thing to bring up with the Mechanicus is that they're not based off of Earth. They're based off of no. Mars. They are not. Like they are. Yeah. They are part of the Imperium, but they are not part of the Imperium. You know, <laughs> like it. They they have a lot of autonomy. <laughs> yeah, they they really do, and that sometimes rubs other organizations in the Imperium uh, the wrong way. There's a number of novels. Uh, Death of Integrity is one I read recently uh, in the like the Space Marine Battle series, where the Nova Marines and one of the uh, successors of the Blood Angels, I don't remember exactly which one it was, but uh, they end up, they're like chasing this Space Hulk that's loaded with Gene Stealers, and then it turns out said Space Hulk has some some special archaeotech on it and as they're getting ready to basically bomb like bomb this uh space hulk out of the void the mechanicus fleet shows up and says nope i have a holy writ from the high lords of terror says i can do whatever i want as long as i'm looking for okay archaeotech and so now i'm in charge and they're not fond of that and there's even questions of split loyalties between like among the uh, like the tech marines because the tech marines in the individual chapters are trained by the adeptus mechanicus so like they've got all their normal space marine training but then it's the adeptus mechanicus that brings them into the fold which is also why the tech or tech marines have red armor to represent that martian connection it's also like tech marines are driving all the vehicles because they've been trained by the uh tech priests of Mars on how to like how to properly care for their vehicles. And that includes saying the proper par- prayers and offering the proper unguents to the machine spirits. It's really it weird. Culty so stuff. Weird. <laughs> <laughs> it is weird They're They are weird. And compared to the rest of the Imperium, like, you know, we see there's a lot of like body modification stuff that happens in other branches of the Imperium. There's a lot, you know, like limbs get replaced with cybernetics after they get damaged, things like that. Uh, mm. The sisters of battle strap people to punishment platforms and uh, send them into f- to fight. You know, just weird body horror modification stuff like that. The Mechanicus takes it to a brand new level. <laughs> like they they push it to the point where tech priests are barely human anymore. Like a lot of times they'll have like a f- like their brain and a few of their organs and maybe an arm will still be flesh and everything else has been replaced with cybernetics. And like the Skitari, it's like you'll notice every Skitari model, they've got robot legs from like the knees down. Yeah, because the they're like, well, the Skitari originally the Skitari walked everywhere. Like you just drop them off on a planet, they'll just walk where they're going. Well, human legs wear out, so we might as well just hey, once somebody's a Skitari, just start replacing parts. Just easier for everyone. <laughs> yeah, the me- the Mechanicus are a weird faction, and, f- and they were a faction that was not present in 40k as a playable faction for a long time until, what, I think it was 7th edition when we finally got yep. the Mechanicus split into two separate uh, books, because there was the Skatari Codex and the Cult Mechanicus Codex. Because why charge why charge you for one codex when they can charge you for two? Yeah, because <laughs> they were also doing like a weird staged release too. Because they like they released all the Skitari stuff and no HQs, and then they released the HQs under a different codex like a month later, and it was weird. And they well, had and mutually the- incompatible rules. 
The one thing I will say, though, about that, like, it was a weird release strategy, and I think we even mentioned it at the time, that, like, this is kind of weird and two halves of the same token. Um, it is an interesting way for them to release, you know, all of the new models and kind of stage it out. Like, if you're wanting to play this army, everything's plastic. Like, it's all brand new, um, yeah. you know, within the last several years. So the, this is an army that I see a lot of people kind of gravitate to when they, you know, new to the game, because it's a very visually striking army. It's very sci-fi and it's all plastic. The army itself is a little more complicated to play. And we'll get into that, you know, as we go through the rules, but um this is a very popular army for people getting into 40 K just because it's a very unique aesthetic. Oh yeah. Nothing else looks quite like the Mechanicus. And I think that's a good thing. And it's a line that, yeah, that we had that initial set of releases in 7th edition, and they have continued to expand upon it and add new options. Even last year, uh, there were a lot of things that were added in uh, alongside the Engine War uh, Psychic Awakening book. And this codex finally brings all of those together into one rulebook. So we've, we finally have like a single consolidated uh, set of rules, and we have a codex that feels fully fleshed out and actually has all the options that you would want an army to have and and feel like a cohesive whole. So it's good to see this finally happen. But yeah, it's a it's a great line if you want to get in, especially with an army like you said that has just this very unique look. Also, we've got uh, this is the faction that introduced. Uh, or that has didn't introduce it. He was introduced in the uh, Gathering Storm stuff. But Belisarius Call, who is the mastermind behind Primaris Marines, so there's a big storyline connection there between Call and uh, Reboot Gilliman and like the Ultramarines and the entire Primaris uh, Marine program. And Call is that old. Like, he was around when Gulliman went into stasis the first time. So, he's ancient, and he has lots of ideas. <laughs> yeah, so it's either it's either his, you know, he was either the one that gave us uh, Primaris Marines, or he's the one you can blame for all the Primaris Marines. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, I don't think anybody has, like, lukewarm feelings on call. It's one, way, one or the other. But Mars isn't the only Forge world, because the, the Mechanicus are the ones that run the Forge worlds that produce all the materiel that the Imperium uses for war. And they have several of the major Forge worlds represented, like Lucius, Agrippina, yeah, Agrippina Stygius Eight, Graia, Ryza, Metallica, not to be mistaken for the band. And they even mention a few minor ones that you can uh, recreate with some of the rules in here as well. So speaking of rules, let's get into it. Um, one thing you're going to note getting into Mechanicus is because this is an army with a bunch of unique aesthetics and designs, it's also an army that shares like no war gear or barely any war gear with any other Imperial faction. So whereas before, like you've got sisters and guard and space Marines and the, you can, and in all of those, you see like flamers and bolters and heavy bolters and, and melty guns and things like that. You're not going to see a lot of those weapons here. Instead, you're going to see weird, like almost steampunk high tech, sci-fi weapons like arc rifles and radium carbines plasma culverins you know stuff that nobody else has access to and storyline wise that's because the mechanicus doesn't share all their goodies with everybody else they keep the stuff to themselves but you know getting into the the rules section of the book we are at page 47 is where the rules start 
Uh, one of the first things they do is they do feature the combat patrol. Do we want to save the combat patrol for later once we've kind of looked at the contents of the codex? Yeah, I think that's fine. I think we can talk about it at the end. Okay, sounds good. Uh, so starting off, uh, detachment abilities is on 49. Um, Adeptus Mechanicus detachments gain the Forge World Dogmas, which is basically their chapter tactic. Um, everybody except servitors, uh, other than servitor units, gets uh, the uh, Forge World Dogma that fits. Also, they have a Knight of the Cog ability. Back when the 8th edition codex came out, uh, Imperial Knights were actually included in the codex because they, they kind of needed that to pad out some of the options because they didn't – we didn't have rules for Mechanicus Houses yet of Knights. Like, we did – that was not a thing yet. And the – line was still pretty small. They hadn't added many new models beyond what they had when they released the the books back in 7th edition. And so they put in knights to give you some heavy support. But now knights are the really their own faction and their own thing. So what they've added is the knight of the cog ability. For each detachment in your army with this ability, you can select one questor mechanicus, so a mechanicus aligned knight, super heavy auxiliary detachment in your army. Models in models in that detachment gain the knight of the cog keyword. So it's still a mechanicus detachment, but it gets an extra keyword to interact with some of your other rules. Mm-hmm. I think it's a neat way of doing it. That way it kind of keeps it uh keeps it, you know, coherent um and allowed but still allows you to add those things in so yeah right uh and then we get into our forge world dogmas um actually you know what i'm going to skip dogmas because some of these dogmas really are going to make a lot more sense once we look at the army-wide rules so we're going to jump ahead to uh page 84 which is where we get into data sheets but more importantly there's two major abilities that this army is built around. And this is actually an interesting throwback to that 7th edition split into two books strategy. Because in the 8th edition book, Mechanicus had the Canticles of the Omnisci ability, and pretty much everybody in the army had it. And it was, you had a list of uh, basically machine blessings you could give to everybody I was on a list of one, one numbered one to six. You had to, you could either roll for one every turn and get whatever it gave you, or you could pick one, but you could never pick that one again until you'd somehow used all of them, which there were six. So turn seven, you could end up picking one again, maybe. So they've changed this quite a bit because in seventh edition, there was the Canticles of the Omnissiah, and that only belonged to the cult Mechanicus stuff, which was like tech priests and electro priests and robots and things like that. And then the Skatari had an ability called Doctrina Imperatives, which gave them their own list of, of things they could do. Then in eighth edition, we consolidated it down to just Canticles. Now in ninth edition, we're back to two separate sets of abilities, which immediately makes us a more complex army to play. And this is going to be, you know, you mentioned that uh, this, for new players, this can be kind of an aesthetically interesting army. I don't think I would recommend this army to new players because yeah, of some of the complexities here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, Doctrina Imperatives. If every art unit from your army has the Adeptus Mechanicus keyword, excluding Agent of the Imperium, Unaligned, and Knight of the Cog units... 
This unit's characteristics are modified depending on which Doctrina Imperative is active for your army. Each Doctrina Imperative has two effects, an optimization effect that improves one of the unit's characteristics, and a deprecation effect that reduces one of the unit's characteristics. When a Doctrina Imperative is active, both these effects will apply to this unit. At the start of the battle round, if there is a Doctrina Assembler model from, which is, this is a keyword, a Doctrina Assembler model from your army on the battlefield, you can select one Doctrina Imperative that has not yet been active for your army. If you do so until the end of the battle round, that Doctrina Imperative is active for your army. So, at the start of the battle round, you can use one of these. It lasts for a round. You can never use it again in that battle. Also, there are four in most games are going to be five rounds. So you you won't be using these every round. And some rounds you may not want to use any of them. But once you use them, like that's in place for everything that has the Doctrina Imperator's rule, which I'm just going to tell you right now is almost everything with the Skitari keyword and only things with the Skitari keyword. Because the concept is the Doctrine Imperatives are the commands that the tech priests give to Skitari to adjust their battle tactics. And so it's kind of forced down from above. And so there are basically, there are four of them, but it's effectively two sets. There's Protector Imperative. Your Ballistic Skill goes up by one, but your Weapon Skill drops by one. There's Conqueror Imperative, which is the reverse. Your weapon skill goes up by one, but your ballistic skill drops by one. There's Bulwark Imperative. Your saves go up to a maximum of two up. So your saves get better, but your movement drops by three inches. And then there's Aggressor Imperative, which is the reverse. Your movement goes up by three inches, but your saves get one worse for a turn or for a battle round. And so this does give you some flexibility. Do you need to get your models to an objective? Maybe it's that last turn push to grab objectives for an end of game secondary. Switch into aggressor imperative. So you've got that extra three inches of movement. Most of your infantry is going to be moving nine now. So you can push that to an objective. Are you on an objective that you need to hold? Maybe you switch to bulwark imperative. Do you need to to shoot everyone that you can? Protector imperative. Are you going to get into close combat? Conqueror imperative. So you've you've got these options, but you're doing them at the beginning of your battle round. So you kind of have to predict and form this battle plan. But again, it's only good for a round. You can't use it again, and you don't have enough to use them every round. And it only affects some of your units. Right. But I can see it as a nice little bonus if you if you can pick it out and pick when to when to use them properly yeah like a a smart player like this this is going to be one of those armies that they refer to as a general's army where it's like Mm -hmm. a good general will be able to use all these tools but there's a lot of tools here in this toolbox and it can get tricky keeping track and this is also going to be something that's hard to keep track of for opposing players as well because you're going to have to know like what of your opponent's units are affected by what of their buffs at any given time, because now I'm going to get to the second set of update uh, of abilities. And that's the canticles of the Omnissiah, which has the same thing. You know, if your entire army is Adeptus Mechanicus, not counting agents on the line or Knights of the Cog, then you get a bonus for all units that have the canticles of the Omnissiah ability. At the start of your battle round, you can select one canticle that has not yet been active for your army. If you do so until the end of the battle round, that canticle is active. 
there's no rolling for it. No, no randomness. You pick one, but again, you can't pick the same one twice. However, there are six of these, so you can always use one of these every round if you want. And again, they're only active for one battle round. These have been pretty much updated from the previous book. So our uh, six canticles are Shroud Psalm. When this canticle is active, this unit counts as having light cover, which is pretty much what it used to be. Shroud Psalm was your armor saving throws were treated as if you were in cover. Chant of the Remorseless Fist, which is just a wonderful name. Uh, used to be you can reroll hit rolls of one. It is now add every time a model in this unit makes a melee attack, it's plus one strength. Which there's a number of ways to get like uh, that units have auras of rerolls. So this is actually plus one strength, which this is a mostly a strength three army. So that's really good. And then there are some units that do have more strength naturally. So pretty good. Um, Incantation yeah. of the Iron Soul, which used to be reroll failed morale tests, which doesn't really work in ninth edition as much. Instead, it is uh, when this canticle is active, uh, you autom- uh, each time a combat attrition test is taken for this unit, ignore any and all modifiers. And each time a model in this unit would lose a wound as a result of a mortal wound, uh, roll a d6 and a 5-up, you do not lose the mortal wound. So, like, if you're against a psychic heavy army, this is a good one to kick in. Um, if this unit has the refusal to yield dogma, which has the exact same ability on, like, ignore mortal wounds on a 5-up, it becomes a 4-up. So nice. it, it does stack with that ability nicely. Uh, way better than rerolling morale. <laughs> <laughs> Benediction of the Omnissiah, when this canticle is active, each time this unit is selected to shoot, you can re-roll one hit roll, re-roll one wound roll, and re-roll one random damage roll, which used to be just re-roll failed hit rolls of one for shooting. So now you've got a re-roll for, like, three different re-rolls for each unit that's affected by this. Uh, Invocation of Miss Machine Vengeance, which was not in the old list. It, there was Machine Might, but this one's a bit different. Um, Invocation of Machine Vengeance. While this canticle is active, each time an advance roll or charge roll is made for this unit, rolled, roll an extra d6 and discard the lowest result. So, again, you need extra movement. This is a good way to get it. And then finally, Litany of the Electromancer. While this unit is active, each time a melee attack is made against this unit, subtract one from the attack's hit roll, which is actually kind of mixed. The old one It's very different than the old one because the old one used to be um, if you're an enemy unit's within an inch of you, roll a d6 on a six, they take d3 mortal wounds. So now it's instead you're just harder to hit. But it's easier to adjudicate. It's less rolls. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is a lot cleaner. Yeah. Now, the canticles ability will only affect units with the canticles. Like, it actually has to be on their data sheet. It's not an across-the-board thing. Uh, and this is mostly going to be units that have the Cult Mechanicus trait, which is not Skatari. So this will affect your Tech Priests and your Electro Priests and, like, your Castellans and your uh, Catafron Servitors. It will not affect your Skatari. And the reason I wanted to do this before I did the various Forge World Dogmas is because I lied. There's one Forge World that does get to affect everyone with it, and that's Mars. <laughs> so Mars, once upon a time, used to be you got to have two doctrine or two canticles 
on at once. Now it's just Skatari units with this dogma gain canticles. So Mars just gets all the abilities all at once, which, you know, makes sense. They are the mother forge world. So they do, they, they're just like all the mechanics keeps the best stuff for themselves. Mars keeps the best stuff for themselves too. Also, each time a unit with this dogma is selected to shoot or fight, you can reroll one hit roll when resolving that unit's attacks, which I would think that would stack with Benediction of the Omnissiah, so you could reroll two hit rolls when shooting. So keep that in mind. Nice. But, I mean, anytime you can get free rerolls, I mean, that's effectively free CP right there. Yeah, that and the and being able to stack both abilities. Mars is going to be the easiest Forge World to play. It's still going to be confusing, but it's the easiest one to play. Because you at least know everybody's affected by Canticles. Yeah. And then they have uh, a... I'm not going to get into all the Warlord traits and uh, relics, but I will talk about their stratagems, because I think those, those are the things you're going to see really kick in the most often. Wrath of Mars... Use the stratagem in your shooting phase when a Mars unit is selected to shoot. Until the end of the phase, each time a model in that unit makes an attack, an unmodified wound roll of six inflicts a mortal wound in addition to any normal damage. Up to a maximum of six mortal wounds. So they do cap it out at least. But six mortal wounds is still a lot. Yeah. (laughs) And that's one or two CP depending on the power rating of the unit. So if it's a power rating 11 or more, uh, then it costs two. And one of the reasons that's important is because... They upped the maximum size on on some units. Although I guess even at max max out, they still only max out at eight. But like for your big, like your onagers and things like that, it's a bit more expensive. You've got Forge World Lucius. Their dogma is Solar Blessing. Each time an attack with a damage characteristic is of one is allocated to a model with this dogma, add one to their armor saves. So uh, they're just better at shrugging off small, you know, light fire, and they add three inches to the range of their ranged weapons. Um, and then they can basically deep strike their units with their strat- stratagem because they have Legio Teleportarium. Agrippina is Dogma's staunch defenders. Uh, each time a model with this Dogma makes a range attack that targets a unit within half range, improve the AP of the weapon by one. And each time an enemy unit declares a charge against a unit with this Dogma, if this unit is not within engagement range of any enemy units, it can hold steady or set to defend. Yeah, because normally you have to be in a uh, defensible terrain to hold steady or set to defend, which is hold steady means you get to overwatch on a five up, which still you can only overwatch once per, you know, once per phase or set to defend, which adds one to your hit rolls in the fight phase. So they, okay, so Agrippina does not have to be, yeah, so unlike other units, or unlike other armies, Agrippina does not have to be in terrain to get the benefits of being in terrain when they're charged. So it do, it makes sense, you know, staunch defenders, they defend just out in the open as good as somebody else does in a building. Now, how much that's going to make a huge difference, couldn't say, but it's it's nice to have an ability that doesn't re- that would normally require you to be in terrain that doesn't, especially if you're on an objective that's in the middle of nowhere. You can still defend as though you were in terrain. And uh, their strategy is used at the beginning of the battle. Uh, select a Catafron Servitor's unit from your army. Add one to its toughness. You can only use this stratagem once unless you're playing a strike force battle, which is a 2,000 point. Uh, in which case you can use it twice. Or an onslaught battle, which would be up to 3,000 points, you can use it three times. 
useful. Yeah, very yeah, very useful. There's Graia, which has Dogma Refusal to Yield, which we just talked about with the uh, Shrugging Off Mortal Wounds. So yes, uh, now they automatically pass combat attrition tests, so they might lose one person to morale, but that's it. And then uh, each time a model with this dogma would lose a wound as a result of a mortal wound, it's a, they do it on a they only do it on a or they they don't lose the wound on a five up, but four up if they're using the proper canical. And their strat is steel mind Reli- uh, steel mind iron logic. Use the stratagem in the opponent's psychic phase uh, when an enemy psyker attempts to manifest a psychic power in an eighteen or within eighteen inches of any gray units from your army. Roll a d six on a four up. The power is canceled. So, uh, so they, they're basically your anti-psyker Forge World. Uh, Stygius 8 is traditionally been the stealthy one. Um, so they have shroud protocols. Each time a ranged attack targets a vehicle unit, excluding units with the core keyword, which I don't know how many core vehicles they have. Um, if the attacker is more than 18 inches away, then the target is treated as having the d- benefits of dense cover against the attack. Each time a ranged attack targets a unit, excluding vehicle units without the core keyword with this dogma, if the attacker is more than 12 inches away, then the target is treated as having benefits of dense cover. And each time a unit with this dogma declares a charge, none of the targets of that charge can hold steady or set to defend. Okay. So if their vehicles are harder to hit at 18 inches, their units are harder to hit at 12 inches, and they can't ever be defended against in close combat. They can still be overwatched, but they can't, you can't defend against them, which is really only going to matter if you're going to get into close combat, but they have a few more options this time around to, to give them those abilities. And their, uh, strat is that allow, they can basically infiltrate. Like for one CP, you can select one unit, one core infantry unit. And set them up within not, you know, as long as they're more anywhere, as long as they're more than nine inches away from any enemy units or the enemy deployment zone. There's Ryza, red in cog and claw. Each time a model with this dogma makes a melee attack, if it made a charge move, was charged or heroically intervened, uh, add one to their wound roll and add one to just charge rolls made for units with this dogma. So this is your forge world that wants to get into the fight. Right. And their special stat, strat for 2CP, Plasma Specialists, um, anytime they attack with a Plasma Weapon, add one to the damage for one unit for a shooting phase. Uh, and then Metallica, Relentless March, they don't suffer the penalty to hit rolls for firing assault weapons after advancing. They don't suffer the penalty for firing heavy weapons after moving. And uh, if a unit is within engagement range of an army with unit the army for with this dogma that enemy unit's considered at half strength which is going to affect combat attrition and then uh deafening assault is their strat use the strat in your shooting phase when a metallica unit from your army is selected to shoot select an enemy unit within 12 inches of that unit so again this is kind of more of aggressive move up be close uh, until the start of your next turn have the move characteristic of models in that enemy unit, and the enemy unit cannot fire Overwatch or set to defend. So you've got a number of Forge worlds that are are lean, you know, lend themselves to more aggressive play. But man, I don't know if any of them quite touch Mars. No, I don't. Yeah, I think that's Mars has some really good abilities. I just I don't know. I don't know if any of the other ones match up. Yeah. And then for building your own Forge World, I don't want to get too deep into this system, but it's very similar to what we saw in Engine War, where instead of just having a menu of here's a bunch of abilities, pick two, 
you pick there's like four kinds of forge worlds where you can pick a primary ability and then you pick a secondary ability from a list underneath that and so the idea is they're all kind of thematically connected because the mechanicus is more strictly codified than you know they don't quite have the freedom of other factions and then they also have a fifth option for slaved systems which is basically like oh you like another forge world but you want to be counting as playing your own Use that Forge World's uh, dogmas and uh, Warlord trait and strat and everything. So, want to be playing Mars, but not Mars? Yeah. Play, you know, Slave Systems Mars, which you might as well just play Mars, but if for narrative reasons, like for Crusade players, something totally works. Yeah. It's good to have the option. Yeah. Uh, we'll skip strats for right now. We'll come back to them. Um, then we get to Holy Orders, which they also introduced this somewhat in uh, uh, Engine War. But basically, you can uh, choose a tech priest, you know, you can induct your tech priests into one of the holy orders. Um, when you induct a tech priest, its power level and points cost goes up. And let's see, it gains two order additional abilities, one of which is the initial power and one is a progressive. At the start of the battle, only the initial part will be available, but then they have to perform an action to advance, to activate their advanced protocols. Which means your your character, the tech priests are all HQs, like they're going to be down a turn to do this thing and make them active. So you've got janitors, which are like tech priests interested in biological engineering. Um, they have the ability Adaptive Mastery. Once, once per battle, if this model is on the battlefield, when you use a battle tactic stratagem, specifically it has to be a Mechanicus battle tactic stratagem, uh, you reduce the cost of it by one CP. But it's only reduced for that one use. It doesn't make it one CP cheaper for the rest of the battle. The initial part is your Catafron servitors within six inches of you uh, automatically hit with uh, melee rolls. Or no, if you hit, do melee attacks and they automatically hit, you roll a six, they automatically wound. These these are clumsy. (laughs) Again, this is a very complex army to play. Oh, it's core or... Core or Catafron Servitors, which Catafron Servitors, we'll get into this, troops, not core, which is odd. Yeah. And then the advanced part um, lets them shrug off core or, or no, sorry. God, this is so confusing. Okay, so core, the initial part affects core and Catafron Servitors from your Forge World within six inches. The advanced part affects Catafron servitors and normal servitors within six inches and lets them shrug off wounds on sixes. The uh, Lodge Eye Holy Order makes strategic ploy stratagems cheaper. You can uh, select a friendly core wor- unit within six inches of the model until the next command phase. Each time an attack with an armor penetrate with an AP characteristic of one or two is allocated to the model in that unit, they treat it as zero. So it's like, oh, we saw this attack coming. We're, we're ready for it. Um, their advanced part is uh, core or Catafron servitors within six inches of the model don't receive uh, cover against it. Okay, I'm not going to bother reading all these because, <laughs> again, they're clumsy, they're add-ons, and unlike some of the other add-on abilities where it's like, oh, look, I can make this a Master of the Forge or a Master Apothecary or, or something like that. Or I can make one of my weapons a bit better. Or I can induct someone into the Inner Circle or the Death Company. Like, these give you extra abilities, but they're really clumsy and complicated. And they don't, like, the two levels of them don't affect the same thing. So, I mean, look 
look at them and decide if it's something you want to do. But also, they're like the cheapest one is 25 points. I don't know if these extra abilities are quite worth that much. So this might come down to being more of a crusade thing than like a match play thing. Yeah. I mean, it. It's neat to have the ability, and I'm glad they're trying to, like, work it into all of the armies to, like, upgrade characters and give them, you know, extra bonuses and extra benefits and kind of create layers. That's good. But, yeah, these are very clunky, and, yeah, I don't know that they're worth the points. But, yeah, I don't know. Someone who plays it might uh, might have a different opinion. Yeah, it's just – and also the fact that to get the the secondary ability, you have to do nothing with – like, you, you – you have to take an action, which means that character is doing nothing for a turn. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, if it's a character you're sitting in the back, that's fine. But then all of these abilities are six-inch aura abilities, which means you hope they're surrounded by somebody that will be able to benefit from it. And the secondary abilities, very like they don't always align with who the, pri- the initial abilities are. So, yeah, I feel like this is a system that might get worked out better in the next version of the Codex, but, you know... It's fine. It's fine for now, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, we get into two sets of warlord traits. One, if your warlord is a tech priest, and one, if they are a Skatari character. Now, we technically only have one Skatari character, which is the new Skatari martial model that is just now coming out alongside this book. However, there's one stratagem that I'm going to uh, get at early. And that is host of the intermediary. Use the strat before your battle for one CP when you are mustering your army. If your warlord has the adeptus mechanicus keyword, select one Skatari model in your army that has the word alpha or princeps in the profile, which basically means sergeant in these various mm-hmm. units, and determine one Skatari warlord trait for that model. The models consider your warlord only for the purposes of that trait. Um, each trait in your army must be unique, etc. You can only use the stratagem once unless you're pa- playing a strike force battle, in which case you can use it twice, or on slot you can use it three times. So in a 2,000 point game, not only can you have a warlord trait on like a tech priest or a Skatari marshal, you can spend up to two points, two CP, to give warlord traits to a couple of your sergeants. Which, that's kind of cool. Yeah, that is pretty neat. And all of these also, the Skatari ones, again, this is a very complex army to play because all of them have the following thing. They're all nine inch auras. And it's either in your command phase, select one friendly Forge World Skatari core unit within nine inches of this warlord, or select one friendly Forge World core data tether unit on the battlefield. Remember, they used to have all those, like, you'd have this data tether war gear and it never really did a whole lot. Like, it usually, like, added one to leadership or something like that. Mm-hmm. Now, Data Tether War Gear gives you the Data Tether keyword. And what this now means is your Skatari Warlord traits, your Skatari can connect to each other via these Data Tethers. So your Skatari Warlord can say, like, I can either do a 9-inch bubble or, like, I can pick a unit within my 9-inch bubble or I can pick anybody else who's Data Tethered on the board and give them the same ability. Which is neat. That's a that's a neat yeah. It's a neat yeah. concept. I, I like that's, that. Um, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, but again, it's going to require you to keep track of which <laughs> which units have <laughs> a data tether, and it's while the unit has the data tether because it's on like it's a piece of war gear that a guy has to hold. So if you lose the model with the data tether, you lose the keyword. 
Yeah. But um, some of these are actually, like, really good, though, because, like, uh, multitasking Cortex lets you uh, perform an action and still do ranged attacks without the action failing, which with that's one where I could see having a data tether being very useful, because, like, I could have my one of my sergeants across the board allow a unit on the other side to do an action and still shoot. That's actually really cool. I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one that lets them not suffer any penalties for moving and firing weapons. There's one for uh, being able to shoot in a turn once they fall back, be able to fight first in the uh, fight phase, being able to always receive light cover. And if you're already in terrain, having better saves on top of that or being able to reroll advance and charge rolls. I mean, these are all good. And also like the, the like the Sicarian units, like the rest stalkers and such, they are also Skitari and can have princeps and data tethers and such. So, or they can have princeps at least. So you could give one of them like eyes of the Omnisci and be able to like reroll their advance and charge rolls. So like, you, you know, there's some good ones there and that's just on the Skitari side of all of this. There's the tech priest side which is almost always they either abilities that just affect the warlord, like uh, Masterwork Bionics, which is also the one that Call gets, uh, four up and vulnerable save and reduce all their damage by one, like all the damage they take by one, or firsthand field testing, add one to the strength and damage characteristics of a weapon that they have, or every time they use Master of the Machine's ability to repair models, they automatically repair three instead of D3. But their other, like their aura abilities, affect only cult mechanicus units and cult mechanicus core units, which means it does not affect your Skatari. Even if they're Mars, even if they get uh, Canticles, they don't gain the cult mechanicus keyword. You know, I know how many cult mechanicus core units there are. One. There are two. Oh, two. Okay. There are two. Okay. They are the two varieties of Electro Priests. Ah, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So, I, honestly... I forgot there were the, two varieties of Electro Priest. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I said one. <laughs> yeah. There it goes. But, like, Go on. like even Catafron Breachers and Destroyers, like, the two kinds of Catafron Servitors, like I said, they're troops, they're Cult Mechanicus, not core. Mm. So, they don't benefit from any of these. Also, they don't benefit from a lot of the Tech Priest, like, reroll abilities, because they're not core. Yeah, the, the I find the Skitari ones far more interesting than the mechanic than the Tech Priest ones. The Tech Priest ones, like Masterworked Bionics, is like the best one because a better invulnerable save and reducing damage that your character takes is is just good. Yeah, um, not gonna get into relics because there's like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve different relics. Um, again, we kind of get some artwork on showing a few of them. A lot of them replace. Other weapons like that. One replaces a power fist. One replaces a phosphor serpenta. One replaces an omniscient axe. Stuff like that. And that's that is not including the relics that are also available for each of the forge worlds. So there's three, four, five, six, seven. So there's nineteen relics available in this book, which you know makes sense if you're a faction that's really focused on little bits and bobs of technology. So I'll I'll allow it, but it's a lot to choose from. So let's actually get into data sheets. Although I do want to pop really quickly over into the uh, crusade section 
um, because they do have some uh, legendary relics that are only available in Crusade play, kind of like we saw in it, we've seen in some of the other codexes. The Auto Caduceus of Arkan Land, which is one that was like a, if not an auto take, it was a very popular choice in the past. Now it is a Crusade only relic. But it lets basically when a uh, Forge World, friendly Forge World model within six inches of the bear is destroyed on a D6, you roll a D6, and on a three up, it gets set back up with six wounds remaining. So <laughs> I can see why maybe not put that one in matched play. But again, I like the fact that narrative kind of gets to have its own thing and its own toys, and we can keep some of that war gear out of matched play where it would be unbalancing. Yeah, for sure. They have like weapon enhancements that their various weapons can get, and it's based on like what kind of weapon they get. So, like, your radium and arc weapons get different upgrades from them, your phosphor and uh, plasma weapons, or your cognus weapons, stuff like that. Because the core book has some weapon enhancements, but they get their own special tech weapon en- enhancements in Crusade. And then, um, your Crusade army can also collect parts of obscure archaeotech by completing particular agendas. And you actually have to collect the various parts of the Archaeotech in uh, multiple gameplay sessions. So, like, when your army acquires an Archaeotech part, you roll a d6 and consult a table to determine what kind of part you got. So it could be a power source, a weapon part, a force field part, or a techno-arcana part. And to assemble an Archaeotech treasure, you have to have a power source and then either a weapon force field or techno arcana. So you basically have to do these like two part missions and determine what you get. And then you end up creating names based on what you collected. (laughs) So Joe example, Joe assembles an archaeotech weapon using the acidic conductor power source and the electrofused van braces weapon part. He creates the following weapon, the acidic conductor electrofused van braces. (laughs) With a range of eight, or no, sorry, range 18, uh, type assault eight. They got those columns backwards in here, so good typo, guys. Uh, strength three, AP minus one, one damage. You can shoot with this weapon once per battle. Each time an attack is made with this weapon, an unmodified wound roll of six inflicts D3 mortal wounds on the target in addition to normal damage. So basically, they have this entire system where you can end up with a whole bunch of different like custom war gear in crusade play. And I think that is fun as hell. Yeah. That is pretty badass. Yeah. So, so I like, I like that crusade has, I mean, and this is actually like we had in like Drukari, there was the whole, like build your own neighbor, like build your own turf in uh Kimura by going on different raids and learning abilities that way. I kind of like this one a bit, a bit better. I definitely like it better than the play custom plagues one that they had in death guard. Cause that one was just, like really confusing. I didn't like that one much, but I like this one a lot and it plays into what is this army doing? It's hunting down archaeotech bits and then just mashing them together into crazy weaponry. Don't the orcs already do that though? Oh, I can't, I can't wait to see what orc <laughs> looting gets in crusade play. Oh, yeah. That's going to be, so gonna be great. Yeah. Or- orcs don't need archaeotech. They just need anything. Yeah. But I, I love that Crusade play gets to have these fun bits of the game. And again, it's that keeping things separated from because like some of this stuff would probably be very confusing. And, and because this takes multiple sessions to build this item, like you actually feel like as a mechanics player, you've got stuff to work towards in your, your, like your role playing as you're 
going through a narrative campaign. So I really dig that. All right. So let's finally get into some real data sheets. Uh, we'll try to go through these relatively quickly. Um, we've got Belisarius Call, who is still an HQ. He's not a Lord of War, but he does have the Supreme Commander keyword. So you can throw him into a Supreme Command detachment, which makes sense. He is like the top tech priest Majos in that's playable in the game. So mm-hmm. absolutely fine with him being there. He does have the Doctrina Assembler keyword, which is what you need to ha- to activate Doctrina Imperatives for any of your units that have that. And you're going to find that keyword on all of the Tech Priests plus the Skatari Marshal. So basically, you have to have if you have a character in play, and the Cybernetica Datasmith also has it available. So if you have okay. Castellan Robots, uh, that's another character who will have that available. So... Just keep keep in mind to use Doctrinas, you have to have at least one of your characters on the board. And Call, he, he allows Adeptus Mechanicus core units to reroll hit rolls of one within six inches of him. Uh, Mars core units can just reroll hit rolls within six inches. You know, he picks one. He basically got Chapter Master abilities. Yeah, yeah. Plus, it he does have the ability uh, lead in prayer. In your command phase, you can select one friendly cult mechanicus core unit, which is just electro priests. So yay! If within six inches of him, if you do so, then select a canticle. It can be one they've already used. They get the benefit of that canticle in addition to the other one. And also, he heals himself d three wounds uh, every turn. Well, and he can heal. Uh Imperial vehicles, too, which is kind of cool. Yes, Adeptus Mechanicus or Imperium vehicles. And that is something that you see on on him, but not all units that have the Master Machines abilities can do that. Because, like, the Tech Priest Manipulus can only repair four, like, models from his Forge world. Mm -hmm. Same with the Tech Priest Dominus and... uh, the tech, even the tech priest engines here, who used to be a thing you could take in the guard and might still be, I don't know, but he can only fix uh, forge world stuff. So Call is the best tech priest. Yeah. Um, there's the tech priest Manipulus, who has a he has a nine inch aura. Core units with arc, radium, or galvanic weapons get six inches extra range and better AP. Um, and he's basically, so he's basically like your shooty buff character. He's got, he's got a decent gun, but he's mostly there to buff other things. And with Skitari being able to go up to 20 models in a unit now, dropping him into the middle of a Skitari unit can suddenly give them a, a much better both range of fire and deadlier fire, which is, it's cool. Yeah. Um, tech. Tech Priest Dominus is kind of like the classic HQ for Mechanicus. Still generally very good. Um, basically, the takes the place of the of a captain. Has the same kind of select a or you know friendly Forge World core units within six inches of him get to reroll hit rolls of one. So yeah, and he's got canticles. He's got the same weapons kind of he always had. And four, you know, only four power. Let's see, what's his point-wise? Because most of these are, like, yeah, he's a 75-point model, and then, like, his weaponry can change up to be, like, 80, 85 points at most. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most of their HQs are pretty cheap. Yeah, yeah the HQs are, because they're not generally powerhouses. Like, Call's kind yeah. of an unusual case, but yeah, that's, 
the power in this army is not generally tied up in their characters. So like there, there's no equivalent of like, there, there are no smash tech priests in this army. Right. Right. <laughs> they, I mean like they can hold like a tech priest Dominus can hold his own in a fight, but it's, he's not a, what you would consider a combat character. Then there's an, this one's a new one. It's actually a model that was originally in Blackstone Fortress escalation under the name Datalosis. And now he is released as a separate uh, generic data sheet called the Techno Archaeologist. He's still a tech priest. He still has like Master of the Machines, Canicles of the Omnissiah. He's got enhanced bionics for a five up and vulnerable save. Enemy units can't be set up within 12 inches of him because he has a uh, Omni Scrambler. Uh, if your army is Battleforged, then for each tech priest Dominus or Manipulus unit, Included in a detachment, a tech priest engine seer or techno archaeologist unit can be included without taking up a battlefield role slot. So he's kind of taking the place of like the way cryptex do in a Necron army, but also because of how the uh, how many HQ slots you need for like a battalion, you might not want to take advantage of that. You can have one not taking up a slot, but you probably would want to take up a slot if you take one. Right, and then he can make core. Cataphron servitors or servitors better with they're within six inches of him. If they're Cataphron servitors, they can perform actions as if they have infantry because they used to have infantry in 8th edition. They don't anymore. And then while the unit is performing an action, they can still make range attacks without that action failing. So he's basically there to help you pull off uh, actions with your army. So this is an army where like taking secondaries that have actions is not necessarily bad for you because you have multiple ways to allow units to do that and still function. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I mean, he's got a pistol and a servo art claw. He's not amazing. He's not terrible. He's, he's a, he's an, he's not even necessarily a buff character as much as just an action enablement character. Yeah. You've got the Skitari Marshall, which is, we finally have a Skitari HQ. His ability is actually kind of cool with uh, Doctrina Imperatives. Is he has a control edict. You select a forge-rolled Skatari unit within nine inches or a Skatari data tether unit anywhere on the battlefield. And until the start of your next command phase, they get the benefit of the Doctrina that's in place, but they don't get the penalty. You want three inches of extra movement, but don't want your saves to drop. You pick that unit. It's like, okay, now you're faster and you're just as resilient as ever. Or nice. I want you to be able to shoot and fight equally well. And so that's just in your command phase. You just activate that. And he he also has the lieutenant ability of allowing Skatari core units within six inches of him to reroll wound rolls of one. Um, and a five up and vulnerable save from enhanced bionics. So, I mean, honest, and he's like 45 points. He's... Yeah, he's cheap. Yeah, I would say take... Like, I would see, like, as HQs, take a Tech Priest and a Skatari Mark, like, any one of the Tech Priests, probably Dominus, maybe Manipulus, and a Skatari Marshal, and those are really solid HQs, regardless of whatever you're running. If you want Call, throw him into a Supreme Command Detachment. And then, like, if you, and it, or if you want extremely cheap HQs, there's also the Tech Priest Engines here, who is basically there to like fixed vehicles and then he can make forge world vehicle models excluding castle and robots add one to their attack rolls the next time they attack and he's got the same thing as the techno archaeologist where he can just he doesn't have to take up a slot if you have the right tech priests i mean their hqs are fine yeah 
Do we get into troops? Skatari Rangers and Vanguard uh, Rangers, they're a little bit more sneaky shooty in that they can basically scout it. Like, Rangers are scouts, Vanguard are soldiers. All of them have access to more or less the same weaponry, although uh, the Skatari Rangers, by default, are armed with galvanic rifles. The Skatari Vanguard are armed with radium carbines. Otherwise, they can still take arc rifles, uh, plasma calibers, and transuranic arquebuses. Um, Transarcanic arquebuses no longer require you to uh, sit still when you fire them, which is nice. Yeah, that's pretty cool. They also, I think, went up in points by like five or six. Like they, they went up a pretty decent amount, but I think that's fair if you can move and shoot with them now. Right. Um, yeah, because they used to be, uh, you could not fire them if the mo- firing model moved, and now they can. Also, what's interesting is Skatari Rangers, their base weapon, the Galvanic Rifle, is now heavy too. So hmm. they will always take a penalty if they move and fire it. It used to be Rapid Fire 1, but the trade-off is it's one better AP now. Still 30-inch range, but it's also two shots at full range rather than two shots at half range. Yeah. And it used to be you only got better AP on a uh, six to hit or six to wound. Sorry, six to wound. Now it's just always AP minus one. So it's a little bit deadlier. And then Skatari Vanguard. Okay, so Radiant Carbines used to have the ability when you did a wound roll of six, it inflicted two damage instead of one. Now it just automatically wounds if you roll a six to hit. Otherwise, same range, 18 inches, still uh, assault three. And then they do have a rad saturation aura, which they had before, because the idea is like they're just so soaked in constant radiation by carrying around radium guns, you know, (laughs) things that aren't good for you. It used to be like non-vehicle units within an inch of them lowered their toughness by one. Now any enemy units excluding vehicles within engagement range of you subtract one from strength and toughness. Oh, wow. So minus one strength actually makes you real, you know, much more survivable in close combat. That actually makes a big difference. Yeah. I'm really, really liking that. Um, and yeah, this unit can get up to like both of these units can get up to 20 models. They used to cap out at 10. So you can do these big blobs of Skatari. Um, Cataphrons, their stat lines are pretty much the same. Although, yeah. They're, although their armor saves got better. Breachers used to have a 3-up. They now have a 2-up armor. Destroyers used to have a 4-up. They're now 3-up. They got a little bit cheaper. I know that. They got a little bit cheaper. Their weapons changed a little bit. Um, like the Breachers, they come with a heavy arc rifle by default. It's uh, maxed out. Instead of doing D3 damage, it's 2 damage, so it's more consistent. And uh, the Torsion Cannon. Their Torsion Cannon used to be a 24-inch Lasgun. Laz it is now a 48-inch LAS gun that also does D3 plus 3 damage instead of D6. Yeah. Yeah, so breachers are, are not bad. This is interesting. They lost infantry. They became bikers, which it makes sense. They're on wheels or tracks, you know. Sure. They're bikers. But because they'd be bikers, now they wouldn't be able to move through terrain the way infantry can. So they gave them an ability called Track Mobility, which allows them to move through walls, girders, chains, and foliage of terrain features with the breachable terrain trait without impediment. So they can move through terrain like infantry, although they can't go up the terrain, which is fair. They're on tank treads. Hard to climb stairs. Yep. However, they also have the ability Heavy Battle Servitor, which they had before that they don't suffer the penalty to hit rolls incurred for moving for firing heavy weapons on the move. 
which they don't have anyway because they're bikers. So it it's an ability that literally uh, does nothing. Huh. So, oops. <laughs> uh, that's pretty funny. Yeah, I don't know that I don't know that I necessarily if it matters to move them to bike, you know, from infantry to bikers, but yeah, okay. <laughs> it, it does stop them from doing things like climbing into buildings, so it's like I get it, but it it does mean they have an ability that literally does nothing. Yeah. And then Catafron destroyers like the heavy grav cannon is pretty much the same, except instead of being D3 damage against saves of three up, it does just two damage. A lot of the weapons that did D3 damage are just flattened out to an even two. Um, plasma culverin. One nice thing about the plasma culverin is if you roll a one to hit, an unmodified one to hit, it doesn't just auto kill the unit. They just take a mortal wound. So well, that's you've good. got, yeah, you've got a, a little bit more chance to survive. Also, they gained an extra attack, which is nice. Uh, although they don't have any close combat weapons, so it would just be the default, you know, swingy back. Phosphor ba- blasters are about the same. And then the Cognus Flamer is now a 12-inch Flamer. Instead of being Assault D6, it's Assault D6 plus 2. It used to be, like, you'd roll twice. When firing Overwatch, you would roll two dice and take the highest to determine how many attacks it would do. Now it's just D6 plus 2, so it's just likely to be more. Like, And again... Like, they're not bad troops choices, although not having core and only being cult mechanicus and not Skatari puts them in a really weird space. Yeah. But also, I think that makes them cheap. That also might be why they're a little bit cheaper, because they also can't, because they're not infantry, I don't believe they can do actions. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. That would make sense to move them biker. Yeah. Okay. I want to confirm that first. Actions... No, no, no. They can do actions. Sorry. I take that back. So oh, okay. It's only uh, aircraft and fortifications that can't do actions. So they can still do ah. actions. Quick correction here. They can do actions technically, but most actions in match play require an infantry unit to perform the action. So, so they can perform actions, but not generally when it counts. That would be one of the downsides of them being bikers. So, yeah, I mean, I guess... I guess making them not core is what makes them cheaper because they don't benefit from all the rerolls that other units can provide them. It's like anything that boosts Cataphron servitors has to specifically affect them. They don't generally get the benefits from everybody else, which is an odd choice, but it does make them a less obvious troop choice rather because they used to be like, oh, every like that. You didn't see Skatari. Everybody just dumped big squads of Cataphrons. Yeah, I mean, from a from a lore perspective, the Skatari are the bulk of their troop units. So, make taking making them not core means that you're going to see a bulk of Skatari, and then you will see Catafron units here and there to kind of fill in gaps, which is probably how it should be because they're servitors. Like they're not right. They're not going to be as effective as you know the hordes of Skatari troops. So yeah, right. They get makes sense. It's a good balance. Also, they capped out the unit size because they used to start at three and you could take them all the way to 12. Now they cap out at six. Yeah. So, yeah, they're just – they are supplemental troops rather than – but they do allow you to to fill out a, a detachment. It's like you could have two big blob squads uh, – like you said, like two big blob squads of Skatari and then like your third troop choice in a battalion could be a unit of uh, destroyers. Yeah, I mean, and they're still really good. Like it's – yeah, you know, yeah. They're on par with, like, 
heavy intercessors, you know, as far as like how much fire output and firepower and stuff they put out. So they're, they're beefy units and I can understand not wanting to have, you know, four, six units of those running around on the table. <laughs> right. And, um, they do still have canticles, so they will benefit from, from whatever canticle you have up. So they, they will benefit from the same things that make your, like your tech priests better. So it's like, they're not, they're not terrible by any means. It's just, uh, they've been toned down and I think that's fine. Yeah. Servitors are servitors. We can move on. Um, not, that, that's what they are. I mean, yeah, I mean, no, you're, you're not wrong. <laughs> uh, see, we've got, uh, elect, Electra Breasts of both the Fulgurite and Corpuscari varieties. They are the only core cult Mechanicus units. Fulgurites are the ones with staves. Corpuscaris are the ones that just want to give you the bad touch. Both of them just have five up and vulnerable saves from their Voltageist fields. They both have the Voltageist Blast ability, which is um, was used. So basically, they took the old Voltageist ability and split it into two. It's just after you finish a charge move, you select an enemy unit with an engagement range. Roll a D6 for each model from this unit that's within engagement range of that enemy unit. On each six up, unit suffers one mortal wound. So if you can rush a squad of these close, and you might be able to pick off a you know a couple of wounds on some somebody. Um, they have fanatical devotion, so they ignore wounds on a five up. The Fulgurites have uh, siphoned vigor. Whenever they destroy an enemy unit for the first time until the end of the battle, you add one to the rolls for that Voltagite blast, and they gain a four up in vulnerable save. Whereas the Corpuscari, each time a model in this unit makes a range attack, you can ignore any and all hit rolls for the ballistic skill modifier because their their eyes have burned out, so they don't they don't need to see to shoot. Fulgurites only have close combat abilities. Corpusari can uh, have 12-inch Assault 3 Lightning. Both of them have, like, the Tesla thing of sixes to... Well, actually, no, I take it back. The Fulgurites have wound rolls of six, do two mortal wounds instead of doing two damage normally. And then the Electro Priests have Tesla, where sixes to hit do two extra hits with both close mm-hmm. combat and shooting. Um, they're interesting units, but they're not troops, so they won't have objectives secured. You can easily build a list without these, and and you won't miss them. But they can be interesting. Just that they are a piece of if you like this, take it. They're not like, or if you want to go for like a most more close combat list, these would not be bad choices. Yeah. Um, let's see. There's the Cybernetica Data Smith, which is the guy that comes included with the box of Castellan robots, and he basically exists to change up their what mode they're in. Um, and they have made that into an action that he does. Interesting. Yeah, instead of just being a thing that Castellans can do if they have a Data Smith nearby, it's he, it's an action he has on his data sheet that changes it. Also, he makes Castellan robots gain the core keyword within six, within three inches of them. So he has to hug them, but now they become core, which means now they'll be able to benefit from the things that uh, Cult Mechanicus can do, like rerolls and such. Nice. Uh, yeah, he could always repair Castellan robots, so that's still a thing. Um, if your army is Battleforge, then for each Castellan robots unit in. Included a detachment, you can get a data smith without taking up a battlefield slot, which is cool. Um, although, again, he's an elite slot. Depending on what you take, that you might use up your elites on other things, so that's fine. 
I mean, if you're taking Castellans, he's a must take. He's absolutely oh, a must take sure. if you're taking Castellan robots. Sicarian infiltrators and rust stalkers, these are close combat guys. Infiltrators do what you know, do what it says on the tin. They infiltrate in. Um, they've got an aura of minus one leadership for enemy units within three inches. And they have basically Tesla close combat with weapons and passable guns. <laughs> they're they're more there to just like mess with the enemy lines. Or Sicarian Rust Stalkers are more just like the close combat units. They uh, ignore any and all modifiers to advance and charge rolls. And well, they can inv- they can ignore. So if you have benefits to charge rolls, they they can they'll take those, but they can just ignore any penalties. And they've got better close combat weapons. They're cord- they're armed with cord claws and transonic razors, which are basically better power weapons. Cord claws are basically Astartes chain swords because AP minus one and an extra attack whenever you fight. And transonic razors uh, do mortal wounds in addition to normal damage on any wound rolls of six. If I was going to take one of these, I would take the rust stalkers. Yeah. Also, these are some of the coolest models in the army. So, <laughs> oh, they are. They're very cool looking. Uh, they are Skatari. Uh, they can have a princeps, which means you could give one of these a warlord trait should you so desire. Um, then we get into some of the new stuff, the Cerberus Raiders and the Cerberus Sulphur Hounds, which are made from the same kit. They go into the fast attack slot. Raiders are basically rangers on robo-horses, because they have sni- their weapons all basically become snipers. Or they get an extra normal move at the start of the first battle round, but they can't move within nine inches, so it's yeah, they you know, they scout, they shoot. It's it's rangers on horses. And then the Cerberus Sulphur Hounds, uh, are basically what if vanguards but pistol guys on horses because they've got the vanguard rad saturation ability but when the unit advances their pistols become assault weapons so they can still shoot with them after advancing and their pistols are all pretty cool they're they're equipped with two phosphor pistols Pistol one, no cover, strength four, AP minus one, one damage, 12 inches. So they're okay. And then there's their horses have sulfur, sulfur breath, which is a D6 pistol, strength four, AP minus two, one damage automatically hits 12 inch range. So these guys you want to rush, like these are the ones you rush up to mess with enemy units, whereas the raiders are ones that are like running around, maybe running up to objectives and shooting people, like shooting characters from afar. Taraxi Sterilizers and Sky Stalkers are the new jump troops they have. Sterilizers have, they're basically drop troops with flamers. And Sky Stalkers are basically a little like infiltrators because they've got taser goads and uh, fleshette carbines. So they're equipped very similar to uh, the Skarian infiltrators. And they can also, there's drop troops that do the same thing. And they can shoot when they fall back, same as Sterilizers. Mm. So if you want some drop troops, none of like they're not they're not bad, they're not amazing, they're just kind of cool to have. Iron Strider Ballastari and uh Sidonian Dragoons are the guys that are on the big spindly walkers. Iron Strider Ballastari are your shooty types. They have auto cannons or las cannons and they're twin cognis or uh auto or las cannons. Cognis used to mean you could fire them after you advanced, but you like were at minus two to hit. Now they're just assault weapons. So they just made it like, oh yeah, you can assault, you can advance and they're minus one to hit. 
auto cannons are still great and they got two extra shots. So they're now heavy. They're salt six now instead of uh, heavy four. So Ballastar, they, they got better. And their Cognus Las Cannons are Assault 2, Strength 9, AP minus 3, D3 plus 3 damage. Uh, these guys are great. <laughs> and they have the Data Tether keyword built in and their Skitari. So they will work with all those Skitari Warlord traits without having to nice. take any extra upgrades. Estonian Dragoons are the more close combat uh, option. They've got the the Tesla-style Taser Lance. They're normally equipped with uh, Radium Gisales, but you can replace them with Taser Lances. Uh, the Radium Gisale is basically a sniper weapon that's heavy, too. Honestly, I like these guys with Taser Lances much more. Yeah. because they And they also have the Incense Cloud, which makes anytime somebody shoots at them, they're at minus one to hit. So, yeah, Sidonian Dragoons and Iron Star to Balistari are great. Um, Cerberus units can be really good. I've seen a number of lists even before this codex that were using them well. Your fast attack slot's actually going to be pretty packed. Uh, Outrider detachments might be an option you want to go look at. And we're getting near the end. Um, we've got the Castellan robots, which have received a, a couple of interesting uh, changes. So it used to be like you either saw punchy robots or all shooty robots where like all we've replaced all their arms with guns or none of their arms with guns. Now by default, they are equipped with a Castellan phosphor blaster and then a flamer and then a Castellan fist. And that might actually be the better way to take them because for a couple of reasons, one is they used to just have heavy phosphor blasters. Everything was a heavy phosphor blaster. Now their arm guns are Castellan Phosphor Blasters, which have 12-inch less range. It's 24 instead of 36. And one less AP. It's only AP minus 1, not AP minus 2. But also does 2 damage instead of 1 damage. Uh, You don't get benefits from dense cover against this weapon because it's a Phosphor Blaster. But they can replace their Flamer with a heavy Phosphor Blaster. Okay, cool. And that one is still 36-inch, heavy 3, strength 6, AP minus 2, 1 damage. The big change is they used to have battle protocols, which started with Aegis, which gave them a two-up armor save, and then you'd have to have a data smith there to shift them into a different mode, which you still do. Well, they used to have one called uh, Protector Protocol, but uh, while the Protector Protocol was in effect, it used to be you couldn't move or charge, but you doubled the number of shots their guns made. Now it's you just can't move and models in the unit have a ballistic, care, ballistic skill of three up. So they lost the all the extra shots. And that's really why people took Castellans was just like put out a ridiculous amount of firepower. Now they can't oh, do that. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's the same. They were they were basically the uh, Mechanicus version of aggressors. They could just stand in a spot and double tap and just pour out insane amounts of fire. Yeah, they were. And aggressors have lost that as well, too. So Mm -hmm. I think they're kind of starting to move away from the shoot twice if there's a ton of shots, you know? Yeah. Because A, it slows down the game, and B, it's really unbalancing. So Castellans have been toned down in power. They're still good, though. And they they gained an extra wound. You know, they still have a uh, five up invulnerable save. Against uh, shooting attacks, and anytime you make the invulnerable save, you roll a d, or if you rolled a six on the saving throw, the unit that shot you 
takes a mortal wound as the shot bounces back to them. They always had that before, so that's kind of just like a little cool thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they still have, you know, they they benefit from canicles. So castellans are not a bad choice. They've just been toned down, so they're not, like there's not one build of of castellans that is um, an auto take, and they're more balanced now and a bit more all around. All around, I, I like them. Uh, we get the Scorpius Disintegrator, which uh, what is the battle tank version of the Scorpius kit, which also makes their transport. The main re- thing that people took it for was the Belarus Energy Cannon, which I believe used to be Strength 6. It is now Strength 5, but it can still target units you can't see. So it's still good. It's a blast weapon with heavy 3D3 shots. So against large units, it can still put a lot of firepower down range. It's not it's not bad. It's just been toned down a little bit, but it's still a very good ranged support unit. Um, we've got the Onager Dune Crawler, which was the is the walking tank that they've had since this army was first released. It used to have weapons that were good against units that could fly. Now those same weapons are only only get the extra benefit against actual aircraft units, but they don't have any penalty against non-flying units because they used to be like they're better against units that can fly, but worse against units that can't. Now it's just they're better against aircraft. Yeah. But they, st- I mean, they've got a ridiculous number of weapons that they can that they can choose from. Uh, they still have the neutron laser, which is really good. It used to be uh, strength ten, AP minus four, D three plus three. It is now heavy D three, strength twelve, AP minus four, D three. Or it used to be D six damage, D three plus three. Um, although it treated damage rolls of one or two as three. So it's kind of the same. It's like four to six now. So it's just consistent damage. Or you can take the, uh, like the Icarus array, which has the auto cannon, which is standard auto cannon stuff. Or the, uh, eradication beamer, which is always strength eight. The eradication beamer used to just be stuck at strength eight, but when it got more shots or got less shots, but better AP when it was closer. Now you just change the range of the weapon and it's either AP minus four, three damage at 18 inches or AP minus three, two damage at 36 inches. I think because some of the other things have been toned down, dune crawlers actually are better choices now. So Mm -hmm. it's a decent heavy support choice. However, they don't do the thing that lets you re-roll their invulnerable saves if they're within, like, six inches of another dune crawler. They've simplified that, which allows people to take one and not feel like they're missing out on anything. And they also don't have any penalty to advancing. They they got rid of the rule that... Because they used to have a rule like they took a penalty to advancing, but they didn't have any penalty for moving and firing heavy weapons. Well, because they're vehicles, they don't have that penalty anymore anyway, so they just got rid of that entirely. So, um, yeah, the Honor Jardine Crawler, it's, it is a fine, heavy, like heavy weapons platform. I think it's, it's good. Then we get into the, the Scorpius Dune Rider, which is their one, like, ground transport they have. And it's fine. It's armed with a whole bunch of heavy stubbers. However, it's weird. I mean, it does, it is Skatari. It has a data tether ability, but it's not core, so that would change what what affects it but uh 
But here's the weird part. It has a first off, it has a transport capacity of twelve, which it used to be ten. So now you can have like ten guys and a character in there, which is good. Yeah. But the keywords yeah. that can ride in it is Forge World Infantry or Infantry. Anybody can theoretically ride in this thing. Which is an odd choice. And like, I don't see it necessarily being a thing that's going to happen a lot. Like, I don't think anybody's going to stash their Space Marine or Imperial Guards in a, a Scorpius Dune Rider because they have their own transports that are just fine. But it's like, why? <laughs> like, what? Who? who is this for? <laughs> I mean, no, no, because those are all... I was going to say, maybe it was so that it could also take, like, Skitari and non-Skitari models, like... uh uh, servitors and things like that, but yeah, those all have the same Forge World keywords. So I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> the one thing I've seen somebody suggest is that in the Forge World, like the Imperial Armor Compendium, there's the Secutari, which are Adeptus Mechanicus, but they're part of the Titan Legions, and they mm. don't have Forge World keywords. So it might be a way to put them in here, but because nothing in here has the Secutari keyword, they didn't want to put that in because it would reference a, a keyword that doesn't exist in here. So I guess for that, but... I mean, I know personally I'm going to start using this for all my Primaris Marines. <laughs> they won't. I mean, they can actually write in it unlike a Rhino. Right. Yeah, like, this is actually the cheapest transport for Primaris Marines. Like, <laughs> just saying. <laughs> well, if you uh, thought that was weird, wait till we get to the next one, which is a flyer, and that is the Archaeopter Transvector, which is their their flying transport. It has a capacity of six infantry or Fergewald infantry models, but that's not all. If a detachment contains multiple Archaeopter Transvector models, you can choose four pairs of them to make combined landings instead of setting them up on the battlefield. These two transport models are treated as one model with a combined transport capacity of 12 Forge World Infantry models for the purpose of which units can be embarked within them. So if you do combined, it can only drop Forge World Infantry. It changes their transport capacity. Um, this means that an eligible infantry unit containing 7 to 12 models can start the battle embarked within these two transport models. The transport, the infantry models are split between the two transports. Make a note which infantry models are embarked within which, inf which transports. They must be set up in the, or they can be set up in the reinforcement steps of your first, second, or third turns. Third movement phase, regardless of any mission rules, and must be set up at the same time. They have to be more than nine inches away from any enemy models, and as must the disembarking models. They have to be, and the models have to immediately disembark. It makes them into drop pods, but you have to take two of them to be one drop pod. It's kind of like opposite combat squatting, but for the vehicle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind like of. it's weird. Yeah. And it kind of sucks because it still only goes up to 12. Like, if you could do, not that anybody would do this, if you could do three of these and you could go like up to 20 or up to, well, no, that's the wouldn't work. 18. 18. It'd be at 18. Yeah. You'd need four of them. If you, yeah, like, <laughs> it doesn't like it, work. Like, like, it's, it's a neat idea. And if you could combine it to drop an entire 20 man, you know, group of Skatari, that's really cool. But you can't, so I don't know. It's I would just take the uh I would just take the other other transport. It just seems easier. 
Yeah. Also, let's see. An Archaeopter Transvector is six power rating. How many points is it? Archaeopter Transvector is 110 points. So for 220 points, you can get a drop pod for this army for reasons. Yeah. I, I do not recommend anyone doing this. I mean, you've got better, you've got better build options for that kit anyway, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because then the other options for that kit are the Stratoraptor and the Fusilov. The Stratoraptor is armed with LAS cannons and heavy stubbers and heavy phosphor blasters, uh, whereas the Fusilov is their bomber. They're fine. I honestly, like, of all the, the stuff in here, I find the flyers to be the least interesting. Yeah. I mean, they're fine, but I think there's just better things to spend your points on. Yeah, that's that's probably fair. Yeah. And so now we'll pop over to stratagems real quick. Now that we've seen what the data sheets and units can do, they have strats to make Electro Priests automatically wound on sixes to hit. They can make Iron Strider Engine, which includes your your Ballastari or your, uh, I think it includes the Estonians. Yep, includes the Estonians. And your Cerberus units, uh, when they advance, uh, they just automatically advance six inches. They don't suffer any penalties to hit with assault weapons. And heavy weapons are treated as assault for that. So, I mean, that's cool. You can make Sakarian units have an extra attack when they charge. You can make uh, Electro Priests just do mortal wounds to something within 12 inches during the shooting phase. Make your Skatari units have an extra strength. Let your Catafron Servitors automatically wound with hits of six at targets within half range. Because why can't we just be simple? <laughs> Remember the data spike that used to be like an extra weapon that you like tech priests would have once upon a time? Mm-hmm. Now that's just a strat. It just automatically does um, like it's basically gives you a like a haywire grenade in close combat against vehicles. Uh, D3, yeah, like you roll D6 on a 2 to 5, they suffer D3 mortal wounds. On a 6, it's D3 plus 3, so you can actually like put some hurt on a vehicle if you get close enough. Although, why you're rushing your tech priests up to fight a vehicle, I don't know, but sure. You can make uh, Adeptus Mechanicus vehicles ignore mortal wounds on a 4 up. Here's one, Data Blessed Auto Sermon. Select a Mechanicus unit from your army within 6 inches of a friendly tech priest model and select a canicle that's not yet been active. Until the start of your next command phase, the unit counts that canicle as being active as an addition to the currently active one. So that one's just a a cool one to have. Also better for Mars because... Mm -hmm. Although it doesn't specify that that unit has to have the canticle's ability anyway... But I guess they don't count as being active unless they have the canicles and the Omnisciah. So yeah, again, I would, that's Mars. what I would think so, yeah. Yeah. Um, we have the one that gives Skitari, like Again, I really like Host of the Intermediary, gives Skitari Sergeants, Warlord Traits. You can, If you lose your, your uh, Cybernet uh, Datasmith, um, you can spend a CP to change your uh, protocol on a Castellan robot, but then it can't be changed for the rest of the game. So, oops, only do that once. <laughs> You can make your vehicles auto explode when they die. Oh, that's because good. the machine spirit machine spirit just wants revenge. I uh, and just yeah, there's a lot of just there's a lot of things that buff up just mechanica stuff in general. Or like you can automatically pass a morale test if you're within six inches of an objective marker. Just things like that. Uh so honestly, like there's a lot of neat tools. There's like 
this isn't one army that's going to have, you're going to have a lot in your back pocket, but you're also going to have to be managing a lot of stuff because you're going to be keeping track of two different once per sets of once per game abilities that except for one forge world, which is the best forge world, um, will not be affecting all your units at once. You're going to have to keep track of who has, like, who has data tethers, who doesn't, who has doctrinas, who doesn't. Which doctrina are you using? Did you use the ability on your Skatari Marshal to ignore the doctrina penalty on somebody? Um, whose core to get benefits of various rerolls and other abilities? Uh, there's a lot to juggle in this army. So, mm-hmm. it uh, is it going to be an interesting army to play if you can figure all of that out yes i think so and i think this army it's been buffed up i don't know if it's been drukari levels of buffed up but i think it's i think it's an interesting army to look at and probably play yeah i think it's definitely um people who had been playing it you know if you've been playing it over the last year or two and it has what hasn't been top tier i think you're immediately going to see like a jump in power level and what you can do with the army if you're new to the army you're gonna have a learning curve that's just you're just you just are gonna have a learning curve with it yeah it's a tricky army to play um i do like how they've you know they knights are kind of integrated into it uh but didn't seem like there was a lot that keyed off of knight abilities because the knight gains the knight of the cog ability but i didn't see yeah that's a good point i didn't see where that came up anywhere like other than you know, it doesn't stop you. Like if it doesn't stop you from using doctrinas or canicles. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to double check. I wouldn't. I didn't see any. I want to see if there were any strats because I didn't see any characters that could fix Knight of the Cog, apart from Call, who can fix anything Imperium. Yeah, I guess it's it is literally just a way to be able to take a knight without disrupting your other abilities. Yeah, which is fine. Which is. Yeah, which is honestly fine because your your knight abilities are going to be in the knight codex, so that's right. fine. It's it's an interesting army. I think I'm most interested in crusade play for this army because of the the archaeotech treasures. I think that's that stuff just looks like a lot of fun. And it's like I said, it's got a lot of interesting tools. It's just going to be a lot to juggle compared to most other armies. And hopefully this is like the high end of the uh the complexity scale that we see for armies. I would hate to see all the future ninth edition armies kind of following this trend. I think like I was already, I already saw Necrons and like, they've got the, uh, the, the commands where it's like every battle round, like you have to plot out your bat, your commands in advance and use them that way. I already found that I already thought that that felt kind of, like overly complex and unwieldy. And this seems really unwieldy. Like I'm really surprised they decided to split doctrinas and uh, canicles out again. Yeah. But I I'm, I'm curious to see how people uh, react to playing this army and playing against this army. And it, yeah. And if you're, if you are already a Mechanicus player, I don't think you'll be unhappy with this. There'll be a bit of a learning curve to pick up, but you'll mostly be fine. And I don't think the army got any weaker. I just, I do think the balance on it is overall better. But again, Mars being clearly the superior Forge World, I think is a little bit problematic for balance. But I, the others aren't 
like in, none of them are to the point where it's like, oh, I would never could see it ever playing this. It's just Mars is mm-hmm. generally the better one because you just get more abilities and and more rerolls. But yeah, we'll have to see how this actually shakes out as uh, more live events are played. And we're going to transition from there into hobby progress because I'm actually going to be playing in a couple of live events again. Um, nice. We've got a new game. We've got a new game store opening up here in my area, and while the retail side will not be open, June 5th, their gaming side will be, and the owner is running his first uh, RTT, and I am signed up to play in it. So I am going to be playing, and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to play, because I'd actually like to have a chance to win a game, so I'm not playing my Tau. I'd like to have my sister's army legal so base size, I don't have them updated yet, so I'm not going to be playing my sisters yet. My blood angels aren't painted yet, um, which leaves me with looking at either Emperor's Children or Death Guard, and Death Guard actually has a ninth edition codex, so we're going to go with that. And I am using this as an excuse and motivation to finally paint my Mortarian that I have, that I've been sitting on nice. for like two to three years. So I got him built and base coated or built and primed and uh base coated i did i doing his wings separately because i didn't want his wings are going to be light colored and the rest of his body is like death guard green so i i will glue those on later um so that i got him together i got my the uh, three other nurgles lord of virulence and the two uh special heralds of nurgle base coated as well so or at least like the first color done so I'm moving forward on that. So I've got like two weeks to get that finished. But I, I Mortarian's the only one I really need to get done, and I can I can knock him out in a couple of weeks. That's not a problem. So, yeah. so and then I've also been working on my daughters of Cain. I am finishing doing the last bits of finishing up on the base on the Melisai Iron Scale that came in the Shadows and Pain box. And she's kind of my uh, practice run on working on Marathi. So I'm it, this is, like I'm pretty happy with the techniques I've found I've been working on. But there's a couple things I'll probably change up when I do do the big gal because Mortar er, Marathi other other big model that starts with M Marathi's <laughs> Marathi's got some amazing detail like on the ta- snake's tail and such, and she's huge. But she's also like I don't want to mess her up because she is kind of that huge you know, showpiece model. So I want to do right by her, but, uh, yeah, but yeah, Morty is like, I'm finishing up the Melissa iron scale and then Morty is next to get worked on. Um, and then I did get confirmation that my secret weapon bases for my sisters are done and have shipped. They should be here probably by tomorrow. And yeah, so the Monday that, it, you know, after I re- we record this, I don't think I can get all those bases painted and get all the models transferred in two weeks, so that'll be the thing I do after I finish Mortarian. Nice. Mortarian's a fun model to paint, so I think you're gonna have a good time with it. So, oh, I've well, I've painted a Mortarian before. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you have. Fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how yeah. I got this one. Is this was the payment for for building and that's painting right, somebody yeah. else's? Yeah. Um, I have been so I I as we talked, I think last time we got a gigantic uh, KR case order. Um, I have been transferring all of the models that I have here into those cases to make sure that I figure out what I still need to pick up next time. Cause that's frustrating. Um, I have way too many models. So I'm starting to kind of move all that in there and, uh, get, 
you know, get all that squared away and kind of get an idea on my next order. I haven't really worked on any 40k models. I did pick up a WizKids has like their deep cuts, uh, Pathfinder line. Um, I was at the store the other day and I, I saw that they had the, uh, uh, gigantic white dragon, uh, model and they had it like actually on a little bit of a discount. So it's normally only like 30 bucks. Um, so I picked one of those up and I was going to paint it up for our, uh, D and D group here. Oh, cool. So I'm going to work on that over the next few weeks and kind of get me back into painting a little bit. Well, I guess for me, I've still down the sister's rabbit hole. Um, I've got some friends. We're going to try and get together over Memorial Day weekend and try and get a my first in-person game in over a, uh, a year. Um, oh, what I've been working on is, is working on the sisters some more. Um, I tried to get 20 of the models painted. Uh, I still need to get all of them painted before Memorial Day because I want to have painted for when I um, get together with some friends down here in Dallas and finally play in person. Uh, but I found out I am still very slow at painting and have zero of them done, but I've got like 10 of them worked on. So um, that's going to be my project for the next couple weeks. For For my hobby progress... Uh, work has still been super busy for me, although I think I, I, it's finally going to start dropping off. So I haven't really gotten much done aside from I found the, the sprue for the Geller Pox Infected and just started putting those together because those are fun little models. Yeah, those were neat models from, uh, how is that, from the Rogue Trader box? Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, I think that just leaves the morale phase. We didn't have a morale phase last episode. So this morale phase, uh, the one thing that I have been getting into lately has been a return to 2007 because Mass Effect Legendary Edition came out last week. Yeah. And, and, uh, honestly, I've been like, I picked it up. Uh, originally I was like thinking about it, I wasn't necessarily going to pick it up. And then of all people, my dad decided to pick it up for his, cause my dad has an Xbox one S because of course he does. Cause my family is <laughs> weird. My mom was one of the top ranked, uh, play like top 10 ranked players on Assassin's Creed black flag for a while. So I'm just going to say that I have a weird family, but uh, yeah, so he picked that up. So I'm like, you know what? I'll pick that up too. And kind of, start the trilogy around around the same time although he's taking it a lot a lot more casually i'm already like 20 hours in <laughs> into the first game but it's a really good remaster um the the textures generally look i mean they're they're definitely far more crisp the the gameplay is really smooth i mean i'm playing just on a ps4 and like i switched into favor like the mode to favor frame rate i'm getting like really smooth 60 uh 60 frames per second so like it's it's running at modern standards it is still the same beast it was before so like the first game's combat isn't amazing the Mako still decides that has still decided that physics do not apply to it in any meaningful fashion. Uh, I actually read an article where they they specifically debated internally how they if they wanted to change the physics of the Mako, and they decided it was so iconic that they couldn't. Which I actually applaud. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's they like tuned it a little bit. It's not quite as bump and jumpy as it was, but it's still really light and bouncy 
Um, I mean, so if you can't scale a sheer cliff in a Mako, is he, are you even playing Mass Effect? <laughs> it, you're not really playing a Mako at that point. So no, right. no you are not. <laughs> yeah, no, it's the the story is still fantastic. Like the the character decisions you get to make are are still really good. Um, and and the first game compared to like second and third, the first game is still rough. And this is so like they didn't. It's not like a Final Fantasy VII remake where they like completely changed how they're like how the story is presented and the gameplay and everything. Like it's fundamentally the same game. They just kind of modernized like the interface a little, like a little bit, tightened up the gameplay a little bit. But it's it's still neat going back and replaying the story. Um, and I am going to play through all three sections in a, in a row. So I'm like I'm going to take one particular commander shepherd through the whole thing but it's if you never played the mass effect games or if you did play them back in the day and you're kind of nostalgic for them this is actually a really good way to play through them again um and apparently like mass effect 2 and 3 the gameplay was so solid they like really didn't want to touch it at all like they tweaked it they upped the graphics a bit but Otherwise, they left those games more or less alone. The other thing is the, you know, it's $60 for three games and all the DLC that was ever released for them. Ooh, that's cool. Yeah. Because Mass Effect 2 had some really cool DLC. Mass Effect 2 had some really cool DLC. Mass Effect 3, I know a lot, the ending, uh, I mean... It, we're talking like eight, nine years on. So, you know, no big I think it's okay to be, talk about it. <laughs> yeah. The ending was really divisive. I'll say that. And they did go in and patch that with like an extended version ending, which addressed some of the concerns. That's now the standard ending in this edition. Yeah. But they also released DLC after the fact. And whereas Mass Effect 1 and 2, because you knew the story was going to play through into future games, it's like you could finish the main story and then go in and play the rest of the DLC. And you're like, well, the story's still ongoing, so it's fine. Like, there's going to be more happening. Mass Effect 3, the ending is very, very final. <laughs> so I didn't have any incentive to buy and play the DLC that was released after the game, like after I'd already beaten the game. Yeah. So this is going to be my first opportunity to play some of that DLC. So I'm excited for that. And also getting a chance to play the DLC like woven into the story where it's appropriate instead of getting it afterwards is really nice. But it's also like all the like the gear packs that they released, like the special armors and things like that for mm -hmm. the later games. That's all included as well. Yeah, I I played Mass Effect 3 after all of the like stuff about the with the ending and uh, so when I picked it up I picked up the definitive edition that had all the DLC already in it so yeah I played it when I first played it you know I I, I had all of it um and I didn't have any complaints about the ending but that's a that's a different topic <laughs> well and I w I was fine with the ending because it was the ending they wanted to tell and I didn't I didn't think it was I didn't think it was bad. It could have been better, mm -hmm. and I think the extended edition is better and does address a lot of the issues that people had. There and there, I mean, there are people. I have friends who are still mad about that game to this day, mm -hmm. and like this mm -hmm. edition is not going to sway them because they didn't massively rework the story. It's the same story and the same game. Yeah, but man, the gameplay and the the story, the journey to get to that ending is so good. Yeah, I mean, Mass Effect 2 I might be my favorite game ever. Like, I, I 
I can't like I, I I have to pick it up at some point and go back and play it. I haven't yet because it's on uh, it's on my wish list for my birthday. So I'm hoping that maybe I'll get it for my birthday. If not, I'll pick it up afterwards. So uh, eternal question then, I guess, uh, since you said you're starting your playthrough from the whole beginning, uh, Femshep or uh, Maleshep? Femshep, because Jennifer okay, Hale's a better that's voice the right actress answer. than Mark That's Mears. the right answer. Yeah. No, that's the right answer. I just wanted to make and, sure. <laughs> and the character that they, like, unified the character creator between all three games. So Femshep from Mass Effect 1 looks like Ma- Femshep from Mass Effect 3, like the default okay. Femshep from Mass okay. Effect 3 yeah. that they had on, like, the cover art, as opposed to the weird lumpy thing that was Fem Shep in Mass Effect 1. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, okay, here's the other thing. They didn't, one thing they did not do was change any of the animations in Mass Effect 1. So there's a lot of people that are really bug-eyed in that game, even with like the en- enhanced <laughs> textures and everything. They didn't redo the mod, like they upped the poly count, but they didn't change the animations. So, uh, you know, the games are going to look better as you get further into the series, even with the remaster. <laughs> but basically, like, they went through and used, like, the raw files and then did, like, AI upscaling to improve the textures. And they even said, there are so many mods out there that have already done this with AI that we had, like, th- we can't look worse than that. Like, that's our bar. We- if we can't look as good as what fans are doing with what they've extracted from the game and we have the raw files, then we've failed. And so... <laughs> It it looks really good. It it looks really good while still looking and feeling like it did back in the day. So it's it's really good. I also the reduced load times are great. Elevators don't take you a minute to ride. So that's nice. <laughs> that alone, the quality of life increase there is already worth it. So yeah, I like I've played through the original trilogy of Mass Effect, I think three times two or three times because i've i i played through with a male shep and i I think i've played through with male shep twice and fem shep once so this is my second playthrough with fem shep and so yeah i'm i'm looking forward to doing the journey again so renegade or paragon a paragon for first playthrough definitely paragon and renegade to really max out renegade you have to be such an asshole that it like it feels uncomfortable (laughs) (laughs) that's fair (laughs) <laughs> like I've, I've been watching a few videos online of like, Hey, here's like some like lesser known quests or what happens if you do this in mass effect. And he's like, Oh yeah. And if you want to just be a real dick, you can do this. And like some of the choice, the voice, like the, the dialogue choices are basically like, like there, there was once like Tally's like, can I have some of that geth data to help my people? Shut up, Tally. I can't give you that information. It's like, <laughs> damn dude. <laughs> it's, it's like you have to you have to go out of your way to be aggressively an asshole damn son and yeah and so it's just like and like i'm 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 going leaning hard on paragon like my next playthrough might be more middle of the road because especially once i get like the achievements for being like maxed out on paragon and stuff then i then i can do my next playthrough and kind of keep it a bit more even but uh but yeah i'm i'm doing like the big damn hero play for the first play Nice. Yeah, definitely recommended. Very happy with it so far, so definitely check it out. 
And that wraps us up for episode 238. We'll be back in a couple of weeks uh, with a new topic. Uh, and we'll see how people start playing out with Mechanicus. But until then, from all of us here at Preferred Enemies, I'm your host, Rob. I'm Kevin. Dennis. And Richard. Good night, good gaming, and beep beep bop, bop beep bop, beep beep bop bop bop, beep 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 bop bop beep. Preferred Enemies is an Undergopher Radio production and is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Our theme music is Metal Slug 2 Super Vehicle 001-2, No Need to Reload, originally by Takushi Hayamuda and remixed by Roataka, courtesy of OC Remix. It can be found at ocremix.com.